Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. Eugene here, back after quite a hiatus. And I'm here with my good friend, John Karamanica, who is the New York Times critical shopper and and a hip-hop critic you got two jobs john i got a lot of jobs i got a lot of jobs i do yeah also known as the only person who can get me to read about (laughs) hip-hop eugene okay do we want a caveat for your audience that we are going to disagree a lot on this on this podcast do we want to caveat that uh yeah i mean and sure. it's all Why good not? no 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 that it's all like it's it's all like good natured and in good spirit oh uh, yeah, yeah of course I, yes of course, of course. this is uh, in the spirit of discussion and not flaming no and uh yeah but i'm not finished with the introduction oh man. my god sorry uh, sorry also a true new yorker mm. one of the few true new yorkers born and bred and true New Yorker because he knows the neighborhood that I lived in, and no one knows the neighborhood that I that I lived in in Brooklyn except John. That's and true. actually, anytime I talk to people and they ask me, like, you know, I just moved to the city in June, so anytime before that, people ask me where do you live, and I'd say in Brooklyn, they'd be like, you know, Fort Greene, Williamsburg, and I'd be like, even if I tell you, you're not gonna know, which is has been true 99.9% of the times with the exception of you. <laughs> I'm I was actually really disappointed that we weren't doing this in person in Manhattan Beach or Brighton Beach. Uh Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you yeah. wanted to come down to Shipset Bay to Rollin' yeah. Ro- Roll Roast. I wanted to, go to there. <laughs> What I wanted us to do was to start at Roland Roast, go to Randazzo's and then lay flowers at the location of El Greco, which does, you know, which as you <laughs> Uh, oh R- my god el greco i el wanted to greco i wanted to R- yes. r.i.p el greco r.i.p um yes, but i wanted to lay lay flowers at the corner where that new uh <laughs> apartment building is el greco if you know you know and now it's a another one of those gaudy russian built apartment buildings but you know we got this little sydney opera house in front of it that's cute that's true. It's 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 um it has a I I saw that there was at least one listing in that apartment building that was over a million dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, to live this, yeah. To to, yeah, overlook, to live there. To live there. To overlook yeah. Sheep's Head Bay. I, to overlook well, where my grandma and great grandma lived. A million yeah. a million dollars. Yep. Oh yep. my god. Well, um, what can I tell you? Russian speaking Jews are a special breed. <laughs> it is. It's true. Shout out to my and, dad, my dad and his partner who still live on Emmons Avenue. Uh, you're kidding. No, they live. They live right Damn. up the, right across the street from Roller Roaster. Wow. Uh, uh, my daughter lives on the other side with her mom still. Mm-hmm. Uh, still there. Uh, and to finish my introduction of John Karamanica, also the only other person I am seeing now who actually books has books in his house. Hey, that's impressive. Look that's at this. an impressive. Look at yeah. this. I've even read a couple of them. I know it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> people literally, I've had it a few times where people walked in and looked at my wall over here and be like, "Did you read all of them?" 
and I would say like ninety percent. Like, I mean, what do you think? I buy them just like you know, color coded. Well, I I do, look. I <laughs> am. I actually went book shopping today. Literally today, uh, I went book shopping. Where did you go? I went. Well, I was in Soho, so I went to McNally Jackson uh, mm-hmm. briefly, but I I just got magazines there, and then I went to the Housing Works used bookstore on Crosby. I love that store. Yeah, and I came up on a couple of interesting art books, and uh, I pretty much own, I think, every book that's ever been put out about rap music. I, I think, mm-hmm. um, except apparently not, because I saw some book that they had that came out in England in 2004 that I'd never heard of before, and it didn't look that good, but I felt like morally obliged to own a copy of it. So, <laughs> so yeah, what I, a miss, John. Well, How did you miss that one? I, I know. It's I very, dis- it's extremely disappointing. <laughs> um, Too fast forward very much, and we're yeah. going to back up. Housing Works is Housing Works Bookstore is, is how I discovered Atelier. No, really? Yeah, yeah. I never told you that story. No, 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 no. So, how I, so 2002, right? Yeah. I, I, I pick up a copy of Surface Magazine. There's yeah. a little article in the back that says there's going to be a, a store opening Atelier. Uh, and they're going to have like Ralph Simmons, uh, you know, Andy Millimeister, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, oh, this is amazing because that season, like every other store dropped those designers. And I was like, where am I going to get my Belgians? Yeah. And there was no address listed. It only said it's in Soho. And I tell you, this is what a freak I am. I've traversed Soho back and forth looking for that fucking store. And yeah. I had no idea because back then, 2002, Crosby Street was not part of Soho. Right. You know, it was just like the beginning. But I would go to Housing Works Cafe cafe, and like buy coffee, you know, support yeah. your local housing works, yeah. buy please, coffee, please. buy books. Yes. And one day I was walking out of the store and I looked across the street and I saw the storefront with only two mannequins in the windows. And I was like, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Lo and behold. <laughs> now, how funny. Okay. So the, I'll never have an opportunity this good again. So I have to take it. You'll forgive me. I have to do a brief advertisement. If anybody wants to buy my deep D whole cut vulcanized sole sneakers in a 44 that I bought from Atelier. Uh, and I've only worn to try them on in the apartment. If anybody wants to buy them, send me a message. And this is the literal perfect place. This is like the most targeted advertising that I could do for that, for that particular <laughs> sure. item. Like I, I'm not going to put it on grail. Nobody on grail is going to want them. Nobody on eBay is going <laughs> to yeah. want them, but potentially the style zeitgeist listeners, Someone may may crave them. So anyway, send me a message if you want them. Size yeah. forty four. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> at, at, at John Caramonica on Instagram. Please do send a DM. I'm I'm, I'm responding. John, I'll John without hear. the H. Yes, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll hear all. I'll listen to all offers. Um. So, readers. No, not readers. You you're listeners. I'm so mm-hmm. used to writing. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, if you if you're not familiar with John, as I promised you, I'm gonna bring on some friends who are just incredibly knowledgeable about fashion and about product and about shopping who are like really one of us and john you are definitely one of us even if your taste is incredibly eclectic and it's very yes and very and and i i have to be honest with you 
given who else has been on your podcast, I, I'm like basically uh, uh, I'm an embarrassing scrub uh, when it comes to aesthetics compared to who's been on your podcast. So I'm I'm stunned to be here. I'm stunned nah, to be a part man. of it. Um, uh, and uh, you know the fact that I only have a couple of pieces from Atelier, only have a couple of pieces from the archive, and yet still you're generous enough to invite me on the show. So that's very gracious of you. Oh, man, my pleasure. I, I've been reading your articles like forever because you took, you kind of took over, if I'm not mistaken, but correct uh, my memory if I'm mistaken, you mm -hmm. kind of picked up where Cintra Wilson left off and Cintra's been on the pod. Yeah. Cintra um, and, and Mike, Cintra and Mike Albo were the, the critical shoppers. Right and Mike Albo, yeah. right. And then you kind of like you took that mantle, uh, you picked up that mantle, mm -hmm. and then you were writing about music at the same time. So that's my actual job. My actual New York Times job is pop music critic. Um, yeah. But the the shopping and all the style stuff is kind of like bonus material. Um, like right. it's not like officially my job, but like obviously it's part of what I do, you know. But it's mm -hmm. just not mm -hmm. it's not in my contract anywhere, you know. Yeah. But I love the way you write about it because I'm going to say this again, but like so many fashion journalists just don't know the product yeah. and you do, Like you are that. really super into it. And for someone who grew up that that kind of, uh, shall I say, expert, passionate, you know, almost nerdy knowledge. That doesn't really get to the high level of writing like, you know, like the New York Times. That doesn't really make it through. And yeah, I feel like you kind of like, I'm always like, oh, John's one of us. He's like, he's yeah. infiltrated. <laughs> I, I, I feel that way, too. I mean, I I'm glad that you feel that way because I still feel that way. And, you know, I know about the neighborhood you come from and you know about the neighborhood I come from. Yeah. And we know that, number one, people who have our taste profiles don't always come from the, the neighborhoods that we come from. Yeah. Um, and and then the fact that we've been able to carry that out into the world where you're part of the the fashion, the global fashion community, and I'm part of the writing community, like, that's another step that doesn't always happen. So yeah. I, take, I take that really seriously, and I try to be as true to, like, the childhood nerd version of myself uh, yeah. as I can be still, you know, in my middle age. Yeah, so, <laughs> we we're not middle aged. Like that 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 threshold is keeps getting pushed. So say it, like, say it loud. Say it louder for the people <laughs> in the back, Eugene. So let's talk about because it's a good story. Like let's talk about your your style journey because it's exactly like you said. Like we come from neighborhoods where I say like where nothing ever grows. Yeah, you know I I, I remember reading uh darren aronofsky's uh preface to last exit to brooklyn mm -hmm. and you know darren grew up on manhattan beach you know yeah. shout out mm -hmm. right he's a neighborhood boy mm -hmm. and he said like where i was growing up i thought that not like stuff for not you know novels material for novels comes from like europe or the right. midwest right Exactly. And all of a sudden, he comes across Hubert Selby Jr., and it, like, totally blows his fucking mind. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of an impetus for him to want to find 
come out in like this, you know, bigger world out of this very insular place where you and I and Kate comes from. And that was very, I don't want to say inspiring, but it was really like, it, it was really touching for me. It's a, it's a good reminder, you know, um, uh, where you're from is important, uh, both to define yourself by and define yourself against. I think both of those work kind of hand in hand. Um, imagination counts for a lot. Hunger, thirst, exposure. You know, my mother was very, very serious about getting me out of the neighborhood as much as possible. And, and not in a kind of hostile, like where we grow up, where we live is bad way, but, but more in a, there's a world out there and there are things that are culturally interesting, aesthetically interesting that don't exist in Manhattan beach, you know, that don't exist in Sheepshead Bay. Um, and I, I always took that seriously. And also from a very, very young age, I just very instantly gravitated towards music. I just always, it was just like a very natural thing for me. And certainly by like 1985, 1986, hip hop was very obvious to me that that's the music that was speaking the most loudly to me. Um, and then once I start walking down that road, um, you know, you start seeing music videos, you watch your own TV raps and you're like, oh, wow, uh, there's a hundred ways to dress that nobody in my neighborhood dresses like this. You know, nobody in my neighborhood is performing this way. Um, and you start your brain starts moving. And so from a style perspective, you know, when I first started, like, choosing my own clothes or, or wanting certain things, um, you know, uh, I was you know, we're talking like late eighties into early nineties, Jerbo jeans. My first Carhartt was probably, oh, yeah. you know, my first Carhartt jacket was probably like 91, maybe my first Carhartt, maybe 92, um, you know, Tim's, uh, boots, obviously, um, Jordan's, you know, Jordan's are hugely important to me. Um, and that was, it wasn't, it was just instinctual, you know, it was like the, those were the things that I was gravitating to at that time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I was absorbing a lot of it. Um, yeah. But did that's you, how I learned to dress. A, yeah. Did you buy a Gerbos at King's Plaza? Oh, definitely. First of all, you know where I think I got? I got some at King's Plaza. Is it possible that Lester's sold Gerbos? Is that possible? Do you remember I, Lester's? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's still I, there, man. Yeah, it's I know. It's still I, there. I, I was recently in the parking lot <laughs> of... The McDonald's across the street from the yeah, Lester's. Yeah, yeah. I was recently yeah. in that parking lot for weird reasons, uh, and I noticed that. Yeah, if Lester sold your bows, I think it's more likely that they came from there, but it's also possible they came from Kings Plaza. Uh, but yeah, okay. I was definitely all up in Kings Plaza, like steadily all up in Kings Plaza. <laughs> um, you know, and and that to me, that was the first time that I felt like I had like an identity that I chose for myself it's funny i actually just recently bought a pair of pants a pair of carpenters from ma leon door that's like a the shade of purple that's like almost identical to a pair of your bows that i had in like 1992 it was like it was like you know i had like almost yeah. like a visceral physical reaction to seeing <laughs> this color you know it's like real real throwback yeah. real brain exploding never underestimate choice. the power of nostalgia it's never, very ever. real very real yeah. So that's kind of where it all started for me. Mm -hmm. 
And then, so you were, we're like, we're the same age, right? I'm 45. You are 45. Okay. Um, I'll be 45 in December. So mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So we pretty much grew up on the same, I came to New York in 92. Mm-hmm. So like pretty much, you know, more or less in the same. And you, were you still, you were still in Manhattan Beach? Yeah. Um, we moved from Sheepshead Bay to Mill Basin. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> even better. <laughs> yeah, for real. Right? That okay in our version of the world, this is a serious moving on up. This it is, really is. This is where this is where odd bourgeoisie lives. Like. We moved. We both. We had a house. <laughs> we renovated the house. Like it was like that was the come up. But that was also the mm-hmm. summer that my parents separated. So like. My, me and my mom moved to Mill Basin and my dad stayed in Sheepshead Bay. Um, so, but we moved to Mill Basin and, um, so that was the summer of 1990, which is when I was heavy in Kings Plaza, like that whole, those whole two, three years. So I was, it was in between freshman and sophomore year of high schools when we moved to Mill Basin. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what high school did you go to? I went to Stuyvesant. Oh, you went to Stuyvesant. Ah, check you out. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I used to be good at math. I used to be good at math, Eugene. We all used to be good at math until adulthood hit and we were like, well, this is useless. Big facts. <laughs> what do you need that for? <laughs> what do you need that for? Apologies to my uh, differential equations, professor. <laughs> <laughs> and then where did you go? Like... So that's still how you dressed up in high school. That's how I dressed like in high school, like, you know, like gerbos and other baggy jeans, boots. Uh, I used to have like a weird leather motorcycle jacket that somehow I wove into this look. It was not congruent with the rest of the look. You Um, were 30 years ahead of the hip hop scene. I I want, you know, (laughs) really like mid 2000s, like rock, like rock star hip hop fashion actually Yes, that is sort of weirdly how yeah, I dress that. Yeah, exactly. But even now, like, you know, you, you're on the street, right? You see someone in a perfecto jacket. Chances mm-hmm. are it's going to be a young black girl or a young black guy. I mean, I think I actually have, I think somewhere in this closet here, this closet, <laughs> this is not, this is my office, my home office. Yeah. So, like, okay. the clothes that are in this closet are, like, my high school and college clothes that I've held on to. And I think that leather jacket uh, is somewhere buried in this closet. Um when I went off to, to college, like I was like, you know, the thing that and I, I, I know this because people have said it to me in retrospect, but like I basically spent all freshman year. I went to Harvard. Um, I spent all freshman year just in like the baggiest jeans you've ever seen. Unlaced Tim's oversized Tommy Hilfiger polo shirt or polo polo shirt. Mm-hmm. Um and big headphones, like huge headphones. And I just like walked all around campus like that and didn't talk to anybody because I felt so <laughs> freaking out the wasps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, man, like I didn't I didn't um, I felt really like a fish out of water. That was not a natural place for me to be uh, intellectually. Yeah. I was happy I was there and I'm, I'm glad I went there. But like socially and class wise and all that stuff like yeah. I, that was not. That was not a place that I felt really at ease. And I think mm-hmm. I leaned even further into my style choices as a way of like overemphasizing my difference and right. my kind yeah. of like yeah. a discomfort. Like discomfort. You. Yeah, my discomfort with the space. Yeah. 
A little, a little, uh, I want to sidetrack and I think yeah. we're going to do a lot of it here. So I, did you get a chance to read my, uh, review of the Met exhibit of, of the American fashion? No, I didn't. Had, Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I haven't so seen it yet. I, I want to bring it up to you. There was one, uh, there was a Hilfiger sweater. Yeah. Uh, and the plaque that went with it really rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. You know, it, it, it was, it was a, like one of those, uh, you know, rowing sweaters, like fisherman sweaters by Hilfiger. Also, maybe like a, like a 50s rugby sweater type of thing with the big age. And the plaque said, you know, it's Hilfiger by putting the age on this sweater was like democratizing this like Harvard. Uh, the idea that Harvard is elitist, and I was like, I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, is that accurate? I was like, to me, it's not because yeah. well, what I wrote was like, oh, a, like the elite is alive and well, yeah, especially at Harvard. <laughs> you know, like there's not a lot of democratization going on there. Uh, you know, you you still got your legacy admissions, mm-hmm. donations, and all that shit. And I think that's like a third of the student body still in 2021 gets some like legacy admissions. Mm-hmm. And second of all, I was like, like democratizing Harvard moniker by how? Like by selling it at Macy's? Because you can, last I checked, you can walk in, anyone can walk into a Harvard merch shop and yeah, buy the a Harvard sweatshirt. You, you go to the Coop. The Coop is in Harvard Square. It's the, it's the store. It's like the school store. But it's open to the public. So, you know, anybody, yeah, anybody can go buy, yeah. buy stuff there. Or you can buy it online today. Like, this oh, is. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, hold on. I'm going to try and. All I right. think I have something right here that I want to show you. One sec. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, we got the good shit. We got the good what is shit. It? Okay. <laughs> so, a story about Harvard and, and Hilfiger. Okay. So, I took clothing really seriously, but there really weren't a lot of places in Boston or Cambridge where you could buy things that I thought were cool. Um, and at some point, and I want to say this is in 94, 95, Michael Jackson appears in Vibe magazine wearing a Hilfiger, like, rugby jersey. Um, wow. like a, Or a rugby sweater. Like a like a sports-type sweater. And I was like, I need to have... Th- like, this is crazy. Like, I, I've never seen anything like this. And I really, really want it. And I wrote a letter. I started calling around. And I finally came up, not just on the rugby sweater, but on the, the hockey jersey, both of which I will show you now. <laughs> All right. It's too bad we're not recording the video. It's too bad. So oh, is, yes. Oh, that is some 90s Hilfiger can, gold right here. Can you imagine me running around campus in this? I can totally see you oh, running around gosh. in a Hilfiger hockey jersey. So this is an extra large, which it like, is like really like a two or three XL in, in like, yeah. like 2010. Well, this size. is 90s extra large. This is 90s extra large. And then... So this is a one size. This is a knit sweater. Nice. Big H on the front. 
this is hard. I should bring this back. I should bring this back. Yeah, totally, totally. This is, this yeah, is yeah, extremely yeah. hard. Listen, you show those little hip hop punks where you come from. This is like, true. I mean, this is, is look. This is. I don't get, you know, very rarely am I just like, y'all don't have this. This but is like, OG. Y'all don't have this. Y'all don't <laughs> no, have no. these. No, they don't. They do cause, not Because they these. did not frequent Macy's in Ooh. 1992. No, this is limited. This is not, you couldn't get this at Macy's, dog. <laughs> no. This is like, if no. I remember correctly, I had to contact someone who worked at like a boutique in Connecticut and give them a oh, credit kidding. and give them a credit card number and then they mailed it to me. I'm like, oh, I shit. can't swear swear to that, but like this was not whoo, this is tough. This is a tough okay. sweater. Yeah. Okay, I might all right, when the when, when the weather yeah. gets when the get the weather gets cold. Yeah, you got to break me. that out. Catch take me. a picture for us. Absolutely. Okay, thank for you for sure. giving me a reason to to dig those out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, dude. Again, nostalgia is and also and, and, when I wore those, but also when I wore those on campus in like 1994, 1995, like I was not like taking weird shots at Harvard. I just was like trying to look fly. Like that's it. Like yeah, I, that's, that was exactly. it. And, and, and that was it. That was, that was uh, a bit of Brooklyn uh, in Boston. That's right I was there. trying. So I was trying. <laughs> so I was trying. Yeah. Especially now that Hilfiger is having this kind of a weird comeback. Yeah. But. All I see is just like lame logo hoodies. Yeah, the like moment people is forget past. he did stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, mm. and although you know the Jeremy O'Harris look at the Met Gala, referencing the Aaliyah look, there's some there was some energy going on there. I don't know how much of that's going to trickle down into actual like store hill figure, but like you yeah. know, there was a little, little yeah. action, little action there. Yeah. Well, anyway, what I wrote was that, you know, this, like, do we need this bullshit story of democratization? And I said, like, the real Hilfiger story, and you and I lived that story. Yeah. But the real Hilfiger story is aspirational. Yeah. You know, the kind of, like, uh, can I still use the word urban in 2021? I, don't I mean, know. no, I feel I, like it's, I mean, not really, but I know what you mean. Like, okay. that's the term, so, but that's the term, was, you know, yeah. but that's the term Black that kids. people use. That's the term that yeah. people use at the time because they, they didn't want to confront race in any kind of direct way. So they came yeah, up with this exactly. a, a euphemism. Yeah. The euphemism of urban. Yes. So um, we'll just say, you know, black kids, which is what I wrote. Black mm-hmm. kids, but not just black kids, Hispanic kids, mm-hmm. pretty much anyone who was like lower class, sort of through hip hop, you know, imitating this waspy look, which is what Hilfiger was catering to. That's what that, mm-hmm. he wasn't out to democratize anything. It no. got democratized by the kids in poor neighborhoods. And there was also the hip-hop kids. and also so obviously, first of all, you're talking about uh, we're talking about Hilfiger, but you can't talk about Hilfiger without talking about Polo. You can't talk about right. Polo without talking about the low lifes. You can't talk about that that movement without talking about like the late 80s into the early 90s. You know, groups of boosters running up into into stores, grabbing racks and racks of Polo taking it back to the neighborhood and just flaunting it and wearing, you know, you know, I think I talked to Thurston Howell the third once and he was just like, you know, we would rack a whole uh, thing of bathrobes and just be on the block wearing bath, wearing polo bathrobes like that, that narrative 
that spills over. Hilfiger to me is the secondary beneficiary of that narrative. Polo mm-hmm. is really the first beneficiary. Sure. Hilfiger is the secondary narrative. Yeah. Excuse me. Hilfiger is the secondary beneficiary. But then also by the time you hit like 93, 94, 95, you have a certain what I would describe as especially in New York, like a New York hip hop rapper aesthetic. And then you had rappers like Grand Poobah, folks like that, who dressed very specifically in like the the most uh, colorful and flamboyant Hilfiger pieces that they could find. Um, and so that became part of hip hop's narrative in a way that um, I don't think Tommy Hilfiger or Ralph Lauren uh, intended obviously, and they were a little slow on the uptake to acknowledge it. And now, of course, everybody looks back and they're like, and you know, like it's been sort of like retroactively written into the official histories kind of, but it was not the case in like 93, 94, 95. Yeah, yeah. Through the 90s, the Hilfiger had the same ad for 10 years. It was like, you know, a bunch of like well-to-do suburban kids Mm -hmm. with one black guy thrown in. Mm-hmm. Always like lounging with like, you know, in front of the like on the river, in front of the canoes or whatever. Like, I guess rowing is big in that uh, class. I guess. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> in, in that class of New England, I think they're big on rowing, you know. So there's always like there was always like uh, that in the background. It was the same. It was you opened any magazine. It it's was like the same. the same version of the ad. So it was it was the I guess the, the trifecta was Polo, Hilfiger and Nautica. Right. Yes, for sure. Yeah. You I mean, Nautica, Nautica, like some of my best. I've got like a really great like in my front closet. I've got a great nautical waterproof pullover, like a uh, zip neck, uh, you know, like half half zip neck, um, blue and yellow, like like kind of like nautical yellow, mm-hmm. like loud yellow. Yeah, those were the colors. Uh, yeah. And the neck is like even to this day, the neck is still sturdy. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. this is like a 25, 30 year old piece. The neck is like rigid. Still, the yeah. quality of the garments back then was very different than the quality of the garments now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Exactly. but for me, for me, it was Hilfiger and Polo. I had a little Nautica, but primarily Hilfiger and Polo. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Nautica was like a runner up in yeah. those, in that circle. Did you ever go to Woodbury? Yeah, come on, come on, man, come on. <laughs> first of all, I still go to Woodbury when I can. I haven't been in a couple of years. Still I still go to Woodbury. First of all, I've 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 done well at the Brunello Cuccinelli store in Woodbury. Okay, I've gotten some extremely lovely sweaters. I got like a jacket there maybe once, uh, maybe a belt situation. Oh, you know where I got at Woodbury? Um, I have two Cuccinelli cashmere pillows on my couch. That came from uh-huh. Woodbury. That came from Excuse Woodbury. <laughs> That's very fancy. Joke. It's not 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 at Woodbury. It's not. It's very affordable not at Woodbury. At Woodbury. Yeah, yeah. But of uh, course, those, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also at Woodbury, you want to talk Woodbury? Let's talk 1996, 1997. Going to Woodbury after graduating college, or right around the time I was graduating college, and wanting to get a couple of suits because I feel like oh, I'm an adult. I should have a couple of suits. Yeah. What do I buy? I don't buy like normal person suits. I buy number one, the baggiest Calvin Klein suit you've ever, ever seen. <laughs> like something that would be stylish today, like literally today. Right. Right. Huge, like sweepy legs and like drop shot. Like 
it was the we- it was so weird. I think I got rid of it. Unfortunately, it would be very very fly today. But yeah. I pulled and I still have this somewhere in storage of Versace brown with yellow pinstripe three button crazy Woodbury common suit for like hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> I don't I don't know Sick. if it ever fit me in any lifetime of mine then or yeah. now. But like it's. Very but special. you could not not buy it for one fifty. That's how I felt. It was like I must. Yeah, I have yeah. to take this home. I got to exactly. give this a home. So for those of you who are not from New York, we're going down now the Hall of Fame of discount shopping. Yes, starting with Woodbury Century Twenty One. Hell yeah, of course. Century Twenty One on Eighty Sixth Street in Bay Ridge. Me and my mom would yes. go. Of course, me and my mom yes. would go a lot when I was young. The weirdly the Manhattan one. Uh, not so much, no, uh, but, really? but oh. not so much. Um, I used to live there. I oh, used to so, live there. No, nah, like I, when I was in my thirties, I would pop in there. But as a kid, okay. no, we would only go to okay. the Brooklyn one. Because I went to Pace University for my undergrad. So, oh, okay. So you were like around the corner. So I was, yeah. So I was around the corner. So I'd spend like all my breaks there. I think the first thing I bought there was like a pair of Moschino blue jeans for Ooh. 30 bucks. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking, you know, 94 or something. And then, you know, like I, out of my sophomore year, the end of my sophomore year, I went full time on Wall Street. That was my first job was out of my sophomore year in mm-hmm. undergrad. And that was at an American Stock Exchange, like literally across the fucking street. Sure. So I really, I lived there, you know. I drove by the Bay Ridge one recently, and obviously it's closed. Oh, yeah. It was very, but the building was, yeah. no one, nothing's in the building. Like you could still tell that it was the Century 21. The building yeah. is just a ba- it's just empty. Um, but yeah, I, I was in there a lot as a kid, for sure. Yeah. I think it's coming back. I think they, I heard that they oh, maybe real? have like out of, bankruptcy protection and they may reopen i'll believe I that, hope so yeah. it's such an institution i mean look you know let um, they gotta reopen barney's they gotta reopen century 21 there's a lot of things that we lost that they gotta, they gotta i know find a way yeah shall we well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get into that for sure because okay. new york shopping is gonna be like a big thing you and i got a lot to say yeah yeah but i want to talk about like um so out of out of college, yep. Like what well, what happens? You you come back to New York? Out of no, college? I went. Well, I, only for the summer. I I went to London for a couple of years. Um, okay. I was working on a PhD at Goldsmiths. Um, okay. And I so I was there for two years. That's when I really started writing really heavily. I was writing a little bit in college for magazines, but I was writing in London for Trace Magazine, which was like kind of like a British vibe at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that was. <laughs> You want to talk about style? Uh, London was the first place that I allowed myself to buy a pair of jeans that was not baggy. Like, Uh, because when I moved to London in the summer of 97 or the fall of 97, like all I had were just huge baggy jeans. It's all I wore. Yeah. And I get to London and I'm like, not a single person in this entire city dresses like this. (laughs) And for the first year, I kind of like put up with it and I was like, okay, it's fine. I'm me. I'm from New York. This is how I dress. But by the second year, I was like, okay, I'm just, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. So I went to Selfridge's. And I picked up a pair of Visus, which 
I don't know if they still fit, oh. but but I had like yeah. a very because you know the Avisu moment, especially like the early speed yeah, ga- yeah. the speed garage moment, like into the UK get like um all that stuff that was starting to coalesce as a as an aesthetic in London mm-hmm. in the late nineties, uh, and unfortunately I left in ninety nine, kind of just as it really took off. But like right. I I you know it's like you would see photo shoots of like so solid crew and be like oh my god like everybody mm-hmm. looks incredible glamour kid and like top to bottom moschino like print moschino and you'd be like holy shit holy <laughs> yeah. shit i'm still looking for those outfits like i remember the first yeah. time i ever went into james valoria uh this is you know multiple years ago they had like one pair of like print moschino denim but it was like mm-hmm. 28 waist and I was just like, yeah. please, if you have anything over, th- if you can find anything over 36, <laughs> like, please, 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 please. And I'm still looking for that. I'm still in search yeah. of that stuff. I Ooh. know. Those are bygone days. I remember when you, when I mentioned Iceberg in one of my Instagram posts, mm-hmm. you were like the first person to hit me up. Mm-hmm. You were like, yeah. If you know, you know. It's true. It's really true. Iceberg was big. Iceberg was huge, and I've, uh, you know, unfortunately the the re- the vintage resale market on Iceberg is just totally wa- totally overblown now. You can't really find anything that's that good cheap but there was a time like three four years ago where you can get like a good vintage iceberg sweater for under 100 bucks or a shirt for like 40 or 50 um now the good sweaters seem to be fetching two or three hundred um oh really is it coming back a bit yep 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 Yep, yep, yep. Get your Snoopy iceberg. Get your Snoopy oh iceberg and get your profits. Yeah. Cash out. <laughs> Current iceberg. Iceberg is like the Dogecoin of vintage right now. <laughs> Take your profits. So then, so you came back to New York. You said came 99. back in ninety nine. Came back in ninety nine, um, and then I've been here ever since, uh, writing and working. Where are you on nine eleven? Watching it outside of my apartment. Uh, I lived, I lived on Mercer street. Um, I lived on Mercer and Waverly, like right near NYU. Uh, you know, there's like, there's like those two tall buildings that are right there. Yeah. yeah, So I was in one of the, that's, I lived, that was like my first New York apartment was in one of those buildings. Um, and quite literally facing South. And, um, my girlfriend woke me up that morning. Uh, you know, I'm not a morning person and she woke me up and she was like, like pointing out the wind, you know, and we watched the entire thing. Uh, it was, her- yeah, it was horrific. I mean, it was like, it's still, you know, even like this year, nine 11, the 20th anniversary, like I kind of couldn't really be on the internet that day. It was just like a little, yeah. a little too much. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. <clears throat> I got lucky. Uh, I worked like a block away. Sure. But my, my work, they started at 10 and not at nine. Had it started at nine, yeah, I'd be around the corner. But yeah. as it was, I was on the subway, and I was on the F, right? So you know, it's uh, you know, it goes on the mm-hmm. ground, then yeah. comes up above around Fourth Avenue, yeah. And I was just like reading a book, and we come up over ground, and I just start hearing people gasping in the subway car, and yep. I was like, "What's going on?" And then we see this like plum of smoke. Mm-hmm. And I still, and then we we got stopped on the lot in the last stop in Brooklyn, on High Street. Yeah. And I, there was AC. 
And then like I came out and I was like, well, I'm just going to walk over the bridge. Like, you know, train stop. Like I'll be late for work. I'll just walk over the Brooklyn Bridge. And I get on the bridge and I see like a wave of Of people people just coming the the opposite way. And then I was like, okay, something happened. Something's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, we, um, you know, um, my, my girlfriend at the time and I, we could see, I mean, we saw everything that happened with the towers and then we started to see the waves of people like walking up Broadway, like Broadway is a downtown street. I mean, it's a, a downtown street. Um, but you start to see literally just Broadway is full of people walking uptown and same thing yeah. with Mercer. Um, and then we were just like, we should leave. So yeah. I have a car, we got in the car and we tried to get out of the city. It took forever, but it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, very traumatic, very traumatic. Yeah. Anyway, on the brighter note, then we come back and we live our lives and your style continues to evolve. Yeah. What were you wearing in 2000s? What were you wearing in the last decade? Like, how has your style evolved? It's... <sighs> okay, so let's start with hair, which I know is not really what you're asking, but, like, I think it's... That's I think it's, okay. I think it's worth getting into a little bit. Like, my hair's a little long right now. I'm getting a haircut on Saturday. Uh, shout out to Rob, my barber. Um, <laughs> but I had inexplicably long hair for most of the early to mid 2000s. And when I look at photos of myself from that time, I, I just very truly don't understand what the hell I was doing. And and so because I had long hair, I tended to wear, I want to say like slightly shaggier looks. Like I didn't mind if I was wearing jeans if they were frayed along the back of the the back of the hem, you know. Like the mm-hmm. whole look was like a little bit uh, grimier than I'm comfortable admitting to right now. Um, so I think like for the early to mid two thousands, there were like okay looks, but like nothing. It didn't feel as intentional as what I was doing in the nineties. Uh, for some mm-hmm. reason, I just kind of let that slip a little bit i was kind of like i'll just be like a little more hippie-ish or something i have no idea okay and then finally like by the late 2000s you were a hippie-ish hip-hop critic sort of yeah (laughs) i i you know like i you know there are photos like you know i'd go down south and like you know photos uh you know outside like screwed up records and tapes and i'm like looking at a photo of myself outside screwed up records and tapes. I'm like, why do I look like this? Like, this is nuts that I look like this. And it's very, very strange. Um, But I kind of got out of that probably by like the late 2000s. And, um, you know, the late 2000s is an interesting time because that's when kind of like men are starting to talk to each other on the internet about how to dress. And we're not quite. I've heard about that. Yeah. Might've, you might've, yeah, you might've been near that. But like, I never really like the kind of heavy, like Americana stuff and the kind of like Freeman sporting club and all that stuff. Like none of that stuff really spoke to me. Like, you know, yeah. Like somewhere in my front closet, there's a pair of red wings. I wore them like five times. Can't, I, mm-hmm. I should sell them on eBay. If anybody wants to buy my red wings, you're welcome to buy them. Yeah. Uh, they're about to have a comeback. I think, um, you know, and I've got a couple shirts here and there from some of the brands on that era. But what I really just decided is that the stuff that I wore in the nineties and the, the, the taste that I had in the nineties should form the foundation of whatever I was going to do moving forward. 
And so I, I, I didn't dress quite as baggy, but like, I, I prefer a looser silhouette, generally speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And I started seeking out, you know, like I was never like a super, super crazy, like one point. I mean, like I have all the 1.0, like early union shirts, early Stussy shirts, you know, mm-hmm. I have like in my storage unit, I've got like pervert and like all those kind of kingpin, all that kind of brands. I have a lot of that stuff, but I was never like a kid who was hovering outside of like a life, you know, right. like that really wasn't right. my thing socially or aesthetically, but I would try to mix in pieces from younger brands that seemed mindful of hip hop history with kind of like a slightly baggy Levi's or, you know, like, and always Jordans, like always, always sneakers were always very important, even though I don't consider mm-hmm. myself a real sneaker head. Um, but I would kind of like piece together looks like that. Um, so it was like sort of like two thirds of an aesthetic, but not maybe not like a full aesthetic. And then like okay. when I would wear suits or wear like dress up for something, you know, I tried to, you know, I would, go to Barney's and like get something nice, yeah. you know, RIP Barney's. Yeah. Yeah. I know a big loss, but can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, or, for sure. Like, yeah. We, yeah. Of course. I mean, don't you think, no, I should not be asking leading questions, but I'm going to ask them. Don't go you on. think they kind of shut themselves in the foot in a way? I know there was the whole thing about yeah, the rant and that's very, very real, but, for me, at some point, Barney's went from a fashion mecca mm-hmm. you pilgrimage to yeah. at the beginning of each season because you knew they were going to have the best shit. Of course. To to a Me Too store, you know, without the well, hashtag. Right. But, but, okay, so first of all, sidebar off this, we talked about discount, discount shopping earlier. We didn't even talk about the Barney's warehouse sales. The Barney's warehouse sales. My first Dries rest, Van Rest my, in peace. My first Dries Van Noten, Barney's Warehouse sale. My first Helmet Lang, Barney's Warehouse sale. Like stuff that I was buying in the nineties at Barney's Warehouse sale, I wish I still had. I actually do have the Dries shirt. I know. The Dries shirt yeah, is still I'll, have, yeah. but the, but a lot of the good helmet from that era, someone lucked out. Epic. And that's I bought so much Stone Island there, like all the cor- collapse with Aetherthrup. No one wanted Stone Island in New of York. Of course, of course not. Back then, and I'd be, I would walk to, I would go to a warehouse sale and be like, "Oh, is a, I'll take it in a forty-six, and I'll take it in a forty-eight, and mm-hmm. I'll take it in a fifty, and then I'll fling it on eBay to yep. the boys uh, in back yep. in the UK." Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, the Barney's warehouse sale were like a very crucial part of me coming to understand designer fashion, but Barney. Barney's as a store, I mean, you're right that Barney's evolved or devolved, but also there were market pressures on Barney's where luxury as a category, the type of consumer that was participating in luxury as a category was evolving and changing and getting younger and having different interest sets. And Barney's always kind of struggled, even in those last few years. You'd go to Barney's and they'd have really, really interesting buys on some smart designers. And then they would just have like oodles and oodles of stuff that you can get at Kith, for example. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And now, but I understand why they did that. I'm not saying it was the right thing. I'm not saying it made yeah. me happy when I was there. But if there are going to be 
hundreds, if not thousands of people who want to buy that stuff and maybe only dozens or a few hundred who want to buy the Craig Greens of the world. You mm-hmm. have to like that's you got to pay rent. The rent on that building is very, very high. Um, yeah. And, and this is I, I don't know if you ever read the shopping column I did after Barney's closed where I was sort mm-hmm. of like, well, what's the new Barney's going to be? And it, I yeah. went to all these different stores, most of which don't exist I anymore. That's well, you know, yeah. Totokayo and stuff like that. But my takeaway from that piece was the new Barney's is Kiff straight up. Right. And yeah. and obviously it felt a little heretical to write it. Kith is also, you know, people drag Kith a lot. Yeah, why are you why are you giving them for because because Kith is because Kith is like the dream store of like 15-year-old me. You know what I mean? Like that would have been so exciting to have a store like that when I was 15. Look, I don't just look. I I I understand. Uh. I understand <laughs> the issues with Kith. And also, I will say this, Kith often buys interesting brands, but does bad buys of those brands. Yeah. And it's, that's it's a basic bitch. It's, it's a un- basic bitch buy. It's unfortunate. It's, oh, yeah, it's very it unfortunate. Um, uh, Do you but, know what a Kith victim is? No. Tell me. I mean, I can imagine, but. Uh, a straight male without a sense of personal style. That's my contribution to the fashion dictionary. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, but to me, that is where the luxury dollar is right now. Like sure. if we're talking from sure. a purely business perspective, that oh, is yeah. where the luxury I mean, dollar is. Yeah, and so that's a money printing press. Absolutely. And so that, you know, Barney's in this in this ecosystem, Barney's as you and I first came to understand it can't thrive barney's Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like barney's in this moment would have to be like um i never know is it if or if i feel like i always get it wrong it's if it's It's if if, right okay so like barney's would have to be like if basically right yeah yeah it'd have to be much smaller footprint well i i agree i think part of it was the over expansion i mean they had no business opening stores in in boston in chicago like and also why, and the know. warehouse stores like you know i live in brooklyn that warehouse lo- the the barney's like warehouse location that was on atlantic right by yeah. um right by court yeah i mean I will say I did buy like a ill Dries Van Noten, like kind of like a Kurta or something, like a wild mm-hmm. Dries Van Noten piece on extreme <laughs> sale. Cause obviously it was sitting in that location for months and I would just visit it every couple sure. months. Cause I was like, there's <laughs> no way any person who lives in this neighborhood is going to buy it. Is it dropping this. to 70? Is it yeah. dropping to 70? <laughs> but I know cause I was like, dog, no one in my neighborhood is going to buy yeah, this. Yeah, I'm the only person. So I just kept waiting and waiting. And when it hit 70% off, I bought it. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the stuff that they were selling in that location was abysmal. And they thought mm-hmm. that that was a viable business model. And it just was not. Yeah. And you're like, why? You know, like yeah. even Stephen Allen was not a viable model. In that True. Thing. Right. And Stephen, <laughs> the Stephen Allen on Atlantic had a lot of character yeah. as compared to that Barney's Warehouse location. Yeah. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. This yeah. was like a generic place in a generic building. You've never seen so many like, beige items of clothing as in that Barney's uh, Warehouse location. Yeah. Still empty, that yeah. storefront, by the way. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you get to – how did you end up at the Times? Like give us a little run through yeah. for the so, audience. I've been writing about music for a lot of years. Uh, you know, I, I – I, when I was a freelancer – I worked in websites right when I moved back to New York. Um, I worked for um, 
Russell Simmons's first website. I mean, Russell's canceled now, but like Russell had a website called 360 mm-hmm. Hip Hop. I worked at 360 Hip Hop. Uh, that was bought by BET. I worked at BET for about a year on their website. After that, after like the dot com bust, and I got laid off along with everybody else, I freelanced for a bunch of years. I wrote for you know Rolling Stone, Double XL, Vibe, The Source, mm-hmm. The Village Voice, etc. Um, and I I was very happy doing that. I was like a real you know stay up till four in the morning, seven nights a week, always writing, always working, uh, type of writer. And um, I got a job at Vibe. Vibe was having a new editorial turnover, and um, the new editor-in-chief, Danielle, uh, asked me to come uh, and join the staff, and I hadn't really done that at a magazine. So I I did that, and I stayed for about a year and a half, and I ended up leaving – because I just I, I missed writing. I want I miss kind of like being in charge of my own mm-hmm. destiny. Um, I'm not really like a great office kind of person. Uh, it's not my yeah. not my total vibe. And um, <laughs> um, it turned out purely coincidentally that the 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 week or the month that I left Vibe, the person who has my current job at the Times, K Sane, left to go work at the New Yorker. Total, total crapshoot. I was totally ready to just go back to freelancing or go back to grad school and finish my PhD, which I never finished. I was ready to do any of that stuff. And I I heard that he had left and I was like, oh, shit, like that's the job. Like that job is mm-hmm. the job. And I just started sending emails and knocking on doors and just trying to make myself available for it. And I started as a freelancer, just filling in, like doing concert reviews. Yeah. And then within a year, I was on contract. And then not long after that, I got hired for real. Um, nice. And I've had that job, you know, for 10 or 11 years now. Yeah. And the the, cool. the, um, the shopping stuff, like once I was like officially on staff, you know, that was right around the time that Sintra and Mike Albo were phased out. And... Mm-hmm. Um, someone I and knew, they were like well you want to do this too it wasn't that <laughs> like i i was very hung- i'm eugene i'm extremely hungry like when i want something like i go for it yeah. I go. and so i sent an that's email that's how you gotta be you gotta be that's that way and i sent an email and i was like look i sent an email to the head of styles at the time and i was like look you don't know me i read about music i know you might think this is weird but like for years i've read critical shopper and thought i could do it I feel like yeah. I can do it. And would you take a meeting with me? Just take a meeting. And I got punted down from the head of styles to the person who handles fashion coverage, who's still my editor to this day. And, you know, kind of had this like very kind of like skeptical meeting where she's like kind of giving me the mm-hmm. once over and like, mm, I don't know. You don't look very high fashion. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. And you, you and your polo and Tommy. Right. <laughs> Basically. Right. And actually, but my first column the first, the test column, which ended up being the thing that got me the job, mm-hmm. was I didn't do a high fashion store. I did Dave's New York. Dave's is the workwear store on Sixth Avenue yeah, yeah, yeah. by like 17th or 18th Street. And this is. Does that still again, exist? I think so. Yeah, I think it's still there. Yeah. Okay. Um, because that was a moment where the Americana thing was happening, workwear was having mm-hmm. a moment. And I was like, I'm not going to take you to one of those stores. I'm going to take you. Y'all want workwear? Um, let's go try on right. some Carhartt overalls, some flame yeah. retardant Carhartt overalls. And I did <laughs> I did that column 
as straight-facedly as the people before me did Prada. And I turned right. that in, and my editor was like, okay, what do you want to do next? And I've been doing it for, uh, you know, for 10 years yeah. since. I mean, except for COVID, that's obviously. Cool. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, because yeah. we haven't had one in a while. No, I think years. that's hopefully in the new year. Um, you know, it's like weird to write a shopping column when I feel like every time I'm in a store, I'm kind of like, ah, this is weird. I have a mask on. It doesn't feel totally comfortable. But right. I've literally been saving a list. Like, I'm like my computer is resting on a list of what I think <laughs> of my, stores. my next, my next, like, six columns can be so yeah. you know oh. soon hopefully yeah, yeah yeah i hope so too because those are fun to read i'm ready yeah i'm ready i'm ready to get back in the streets yeah yeah uh what have been some of your favorite stores that you've reviewed <sighs> of or your favorite not necessarily favorite stores or like favorite reviews when you like this turned out like really well whether it was actually you know I'm going to look up great. Or was it like hilarious? As no, no, how? Okay. So I'm going to look up. I just did a search for critical shopper on my, 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 my document folder. So let's see what jumps okay. out at me. Um, all right. That post Barney, I, the post Barney's one was interesting. Mm-hmm. That was important. I think, um, let's see. I love the Brooksfield mall. Oh my god, that one! <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> you were That's... like, I can get that shit at JFK and Terminal Four. Uh, Why do we need this? <laughs> that was, and that's interesting. It's I'm so glad that that one stuck in your mind because that to me, like that's also a 9/11 piece, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's a 9/11 yeah. piece, and um, that was the first time I'd been to Ground Zero was to do that right. column. Um, and it was obviously many years later, but I've been avoiding it for years. Yeah. Um, oh, me, me too. Like yeah. I haven't gone literally until I moved into this neighborhood and I was like, well, I need to go explore. And um, I was like, oh, we have a Gucci and Bottega here. That's weird. <laughs> it, is, okay. it is. It is in fact <laughs> weird. Um, okay. I did one on, do you ever go to Jay Koss on, I think it's Mulberry or Mott. He does like kind of like exotic skin jackets and shoes. No. I did no. like a funny one on Jay Cost that I remember he was I think he was pissed about and wrote me like an angry email no. about. Um let's see. I think my Dover Street Market one was good. CHCM mm-hmm. is one that I think was really, you know, I don't know if it's the best like writing ever, but I think like in terms of like pointing to a store and saying, you guys probably aren't paying attention to this, but this is really important what this guy's doing. Right. It's very small. It's committed to being small. That felt important. And sometimes like to use the column for that is really, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That's it's, powerful. That's, yeah. and it makes me feel like, you know, cause look, I can just go to like, I've done gap call. I did columns about the gap pre Kanye, right. you know, it's like, yeah, like you go, you take a fucking couple pot shots at the gap, and then you 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 send, you yeah. click send. Uh, those are easy. Yeah, yeah that's easy, easy. But like, it's a little bit harder to find the cool stuff. Oh, I did, yeah. I did a, a funny one. The Boris Bijan Saberi one was funny. I remember that one. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was funny. Yeah, that was funny. But I think I I think that got him a lot of business. Actually, did it really? Yeah. Okay. Great. I, people people underestimate how much power 
in New York Times article has. I mean, I, it's really... I'm happy to I'm happy to hear that. I don't think of it at all. You know, like yeah. I just I just write because I feel like I have to write. And for me, the yeah. shopping column, dog, I've got so many ideas, like so many ideas yeah. all the time. It's for me, it's just way more important to get the ideas out. I don't think yeah. of what happens when it goes in the world. But that right. makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, that's sure. the case. No, and I and I think, you know, what I what I do love about the times is when it does get New York, you know, because we yes. forget that some, it's become such a global paper mm-hmm. that people forget that there are the two first words in the title of the paper is New York or New York. And I consider myself like I am a New Yorker. Like I yeah. like that's I am a New Yorker covering global culture, but I I am a New Yorker writing mm-hmm. for a New York paper doing yeah. that from that perspective. Yes. And it's OK. Wait, that, looking just at some means. of these other ones. Did you did you ever read the Ten Corso Como review? Yes, <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> so oh, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. that God. was hilarious. Yo, what a we ba- talked about it after I hit you right. up on Instagram We're, and I was what like, a ba- what a how baffling, bad was that? So bad, dog. What a baffling store that was. What a very very strange baffling store that was. Yeah, um, but I heard I I heard them. Don't quote me in it mm-hmm. uh, on it, and don't sue me. I won't anyone out there. But I heard it's like it was like Samsung money. I oh. thought because you know like they have like ten Corsacoma and Seoul, right? So they were like, yeah, we're gonna put this store in like five thousand square feet <laughs> and pay whatever insane rent we have to pay, and of course everyone's gonna come down to Seaport to shop luxury. <laughs> Different time, man. Different different time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What else? Oh, there's a Louboutin review that I think was really good. Um, the one on the Lower East Side? No, no, no. The Louboutin in the yeah. Meatpacking District. Oh, okay. Um, okay. I've, I've never been to that one. Oh, the Orchard. Yo, the Orchard Street shopper from like two or three years ago like going to all those stores like Cellini Uomo, <laughs> Giodamo like that column I mean that's real New York that's because, what I'm saying yeah because me and my boys would go there and buy shearling jackets in hell like yeah. 93 hell that's yeah. what you did hell that's yeah. what you did hell yeah and a lot of those <laughs> places are still there yeah, um, like inexplicably and amazingly, they're still great. there, and I'm so glad they haven't been pushed out yet. I'm really like, I'm always about like one click away from buying like a Mori alligator skin shoe at Cellini Womo. Like, I'm always just like, <laughs> I'm right there. Like, every time I go in the store, I'm just like, today could be the day. Um, <laughs> it, it's it has not happened yet, but it could be the day. Um, yeah, all right, Shinola. Which is not a brand I care about, but I kind of ethered Shinola, and then they sent me this yeah. email. They sent me this very good-natured email that was like, "Hey, we're really interested in your feedback. Can we fly you to Detroit so you could see it up close?" And I, I never wrote back because obviously, obviously no, no. obviously no. not. Um, it's a fake, fake Americana brand. Yeah, it's nonsense. Um, it was completely manufactured. <laughs> um, v Files was a good one. Vineyard Vines. The Vineyard Vines on the Upper East Side, like East 63rd or East 64th. That I was great. Know. That, that's yeah, yeah. a whole other city. <laughs> but that's why. But this is the thing. And this is, I think, the motivating factor behind the shopping column and also my main job. To me, it's just as important to treat Vineyard Vines with like a, a, a critical eye as it is to treat 
uh, atelier with a, with a critical eye. Right. Like, to, like there's different things to be extracted from those two different circumstances, but I think mm-hmm. they're both equally deserving of that level of attention and scrutiny. Um, and the shopping column has been great over the years because even now, just like looking through all the different names, many of them closed and gone, but it's really the full range, everything from Madison Avenue, Hermes to Orchard Street to the mm-hmm. gap in Rockefeller Center and all right. of them assessed with the same kind of level of scrutiny, which to me, I think, is what makes my job fun. Yeah. Do you now, now that you've been doing this for so long, do you do people do people recognize you? When I've gotten caught a couple times. Yeah, sure. um, I'm actually I'm kind of glad we haven't done it for a couple of years. Uh, because maybe people are not paying as much attention and won't ID me. But like I did, I have been spotted on a couple of occasions and there's even like one or two columns that I wrote where I talked about being spotted. Like when I did Carson Mm -hmm. street clothiers, which, which, you know, uh, used to be on Crosby. Uh, and that was like the first like hashtag menswear store. Right. Like, of course, those guys made me like, of course, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. literally, those, those are real I couldn't geeks, yeah. I couldn't get before I couldn't get past the first rack in the store without being identified. <laughs> um, uh, and that's, you know, it's flattering, but it's also like yeah. undermines the kind of point of the column, which is anonymous, you know, uh, yeah. or uh, yes, not anonymous, but um, secret shopper, you know. Yeah. How about. An article in Style Zeitgeist about how you go shopping for the critical shopper. Ah, meta. <laughs> well, also, and also, to be honest, sometimes, look, you know, like our food critics obviously are there. There's no photos of our food critics, right? And they wear like disguises right. and da da da. I sometimes will deliberately dress kind of counter to type. Like I've gone to stores on Madison Avenue looking extremely bug, like super bummy. Because I want to know how I'm going to be treated. I want to know, like, are you going to treat me badly? You know, are you like, I think when I did the Hermes one, I think I was dressed really not well. Um, But partially because I just wanted to see, like, are you going to ignore me? Are you going to follow me around Mm -hmm. the store? Are you going to talk down to me? Um, Yeah. And sometimes, like, did did they? uh, Not at Hermes. No. Because uh, okay. I think they're probably used to just like rich people come in all shapes and sizes. It's just like right, whatever. right, right, right. Uh, but but you know, and then conversely, like I've gone to stuff you know downtown, like cool guy stores, but dressed like as you know, not that I go in in a suit, but dressed clearly for a different experience to see if I'll get like shit talked. You know, mm-hmm. um, one time I was in a store and they said, oh. John Caramonica from the Times is coming. They sending a photographer, so I assume John Caramonica from the Times is coming. And this is literally when I'm sitting there trying on the shoes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That's pretty good." I was like, "Really? Hmm. Yeah." yeah. Um, Who, so that person did. Uh, that person didn't do their Googles, obviously. Um, no. But uh, but yeah, I try to. To me, that's the experience. The reason Critical Shopper is interesting is it's partially about fashion, right? It's partially about mm-hmm. um, styles and trends and and the the physical retail experience. But it's also about – it's a experiential column of what it's like to be in these places, you know? Yeah. And to me, that's, that's what sets it apart from kind of conventional fashion criticism. Um, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, so I, I like to toy with that. 
if I can yeah. during yeah. during the actual shopping trips. Yeah. Uh, to me, also, because you highlight products so much, to mm-hmm. me, that's what goes back to what I said. I'm like, this is like one of us talking because you're really into product. You're really on that level where you just, you don't only love fashion, but you love clothes. You know, yes. you love dressing and you love shopping and like, and that makes you pay attention, you know, and that's what like why. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. ask anyone who's ever dated me or been in my house. There's no shortage of clo- <laughs> there's no shortage of clothing here. There's no shortage of shoes. There are no shortage of shirts or pants. I, what I'm actually trying to do right now is like kind of go back into my closet and like shop mm-hmm. my own closet for stuff that I just haven't worn in a really long time. But uh, yeah, it's um, fabrics. Like, I get extremely excited at, at, at textures of fabrics. And um, like, I, like I was saying before about the color of this particular pair of pants, like, that's as evocative to me as, like, great music. Like, to, to, to see someone nail a color, like, so specifically. Um, right. Yeah, it's really, really it, – it's, it, it's a physical thing for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, now that COVID did a drive-by yeah. on the – New York retail scene. Yeah. Where do you shop? And also, um, I know like your style is much more eclectic as mine. You know, I'm much more of a uniform dresser. I have right. a very clear aesthetic, which I think in a way maybe makes it uh, less exciting. But to me, it's all about just like freeing up my mental space and time. Oh, I, I think uniform you know? dressing. Look, I used to be, I used to only wear Levi's 511s for like, three years okay and partially they were black levi's 511s i had like 10 pairs of them that's partially the same thing you're describing which is just i didn't want to think about it i knew it looked good i liked the silhouette i wore jordan black cat fours a lot you know like it just like wore it held up as an aesthetic now Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm moving away from that but for a time i did that look in person i shop at chcm um i shop i will shop on orchard street um i shop at like uh, you know, Leisure Center, which is intramural shop in Yob Sport, which is like a vintage spot that opened up in the mm-hmm. lower, in the lower, lower east side. Um, I shop at Bodie. Um, I shop a lot on Instagram. I buy a lot of shit off of people's IG stories, um, especially, okay. especially vintage, um, okay. or vintage t-shirts, you know. Um, there are a couple of, uh, which I, I'm gatekeeping for the moment because I'm saving them for a, for a piece. But there are a couple of like online yeah. stores that specialize in the vintage garments of the eras that are meaningful to me that mm-hmm. um, that I'll shop from and, and get stuff from. Um, and I'd say that's probably um, I shop at M.A. You know, like the pants are, are M.A. I, I bought those recently. Um, eBay, I'm wearing. I'm wearing mossy oak camouflage pants that I bought on eBay at like three in the mm-hmm. morning a few months ago. <laughs> um, you know, I'm wearing what? Oh, um, Louis Vuitton Easy Mules for house shoes. Oh. Um, uh, so I bought those. But I bought those on the website because going to the store is a little bit of a pain now. Um, yeah. Yeah, there yeah, are like Soho's, lines every yeah, day. Yeah, so, like stuff. Soho's a little bit of a pain to deal with. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'll walk around Soho, but I don't really like shop that much in Soho. Right. Uh, yeah, it's right. more observational at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you? Where do you mostly shop now? Just Is it all Atelier and online? You want to shop an antidote? Is it all antidote? You you backdooring Let's stuff out talk. of antidote? 
<laughs> Antidote Atlanta. Now it's time to talk. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, now Speak I have my it. own store. I don't need That's to. What I'm saying. I don't you gotta, need, like, talk that shit. You got to talk your shit yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I opened a store with an incredible partner, Lauren Amos, down in Atlanta. Multi-brand store. And obviously we brought, you know, it's not a style zeitgeist store because I don't think a store like that is viable anymore. But it is a store that's about fashion design, yeah. you know, about fashion with capital F, which is a lot of it what attracts me. So, we, you know, we still got, we got Rick Owens, we got Undercover, we got the entire Comme des Garçons family, uh, Com Junior Noir, mm-hmm. you know, we got... Uh, we got Craig Green. So, yeah, there there is plenty now for me to, to shop at. But before, like my honestly, where I shopped, and I don't think there's no reason not to say it, really was in Paris twice sure. a year. Yeah, you just I'd go, go, like, mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. to showrooms and place a personal order. You know, and not because it's cheaper, which obviously it is significantly cheaper, mm-hmm. but also a lot of times it's because I knew stores in new york wouldn't buy interesting things and like this is what i want to discuss and this is why i think partly mm-hmm. the demise of barney's like and this is partially an oh. impetus for starting antidote was what? that my my disappointment like starting going to showrooms as a journalist in paris and being like i'm where seeing is all these stuff? amazing right. clothes right. Where, like, where where is, is it, it? Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Also, and this we is why I would. Yeah, go ahead. We didn't talk about Dover Street. Um, obviously, Dover Not Street. Yet. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll Dover Street very to, important. Yeah, and um, uh, shout out the girl who works at Dover Street who has a funny TikTok. Uh, I forget her name, but anyway, shout out to her. <laughs> um, uh, Dover Street. You know, also for me, Nepenthes three sixteen. Yeah. Um, you been to Antithesis yet? No. Down no. by Where's um, that? it's on um. It's on Rivington, just off Lafayette, and just um, off, to, uh, just wait, off, wait. just off, um, not Lafayette, fucking, um, no, Bowery, Rivington, just a broad oh, Bowery. Bowery. It's right around the corner from Procell. Obviously, shout out Procell, where I'm all the oh, time. Okay. I'm always at Procell. Um, but Antithesis is like the closest to me approaching the thing that we're talking about, even though it's very small. It's very niche, and it's what do a they little. Carry? Well, they carry um, acronym. They carry 4S Designs, which is the Angelo Arutia line, who used mm-hmm. to run EG. Um, but they also carry, like, Sci-Fi Fantasy, uh, a brand I just discovered called Dutch Tulip Financial, which does T-shirts. Um, they, um, they're they doing kind of, like, technical streetwear, right, um, right, right. like, oat technical streetwear. Uh, gotcha. It's, like, the first kind of, like, ambitious store that's mm-hmm. open in the last two or three years in the city. Right, uh, right, I right. wrote about it when we did like a kind of like, you can go back shopping now thing a few months ago. That was one of the stories mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm, that I, um, okay, that I yeah. profiled in there. Um, well, but yeah, I, like I, but I know what you mean because none of that stuff yeah. that you're talking about, none of that stuff ends up anywhere. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, department stores are especially egregious in that and Barney's used to be a risk taker and you would find interesting things in Barney's and then at some point they just stopped and that was for me and that's why it was so important to have monobrand boutiques which I think now is completely unimportant because it's the same shit everywhere yeah. everywhere I walk in it's the same fucking 
logo. We went from logo. We went from logomania to logoria. Yeah, it's true. That's where we at. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, when I I wrote like a thing for the paper. I can't remember when this was, like, many years ago, like, kind of in the Heron Preston 1.0 era about, like, the return of the logo. And I just remember at the time thinking, like, ah, this will be, like, a interesting 12 months. You know, that's it. And then... Nope. So, as long as there's Instagram. I should have worn... I feel and, like... And hip-hop. <coughs> oh, stop. Come on. <laughs> I, I actually... What I really wanted to do but I didn't have the time to do it was I wanted to buy a Fortnite Balenciaga shirt and wear it to prank you. <laughs> I wanted to be able to wear it for this you, taping. You do but, that. You uh, do that. That then would have to do a video recording. That's true. That's very true. But I, uh, in my mind, I was like, I was like, I have to like a Fortnite Balenciaga shirt is the perfect thing to wear for the Eugene's podcast. Yeah. 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 Just like, yeah, just, it's like red in front of a bull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, he, I I like that there is antithesis and there is antidote. I like that. I wonder, I hope we're starting a bit of a movement here to get away from this lowest common denominator stuff that we just flooded in that like no longer has any meaning. Like, it doesn't what, have any meaning. This, this is the thing. I think there was like a moment in the early logo revival, mo- like, um, like I said, the hood by air into Heron, Heron's like racing shirts and that, that kind of era where the notion of logo sort of marking these kind of like almost like a click tribe identifying things, um, identifying groups um, was really meaningful. It, it kind of it said we stand apart from the fashion mainstream. We have this kind of like talismanic thing that we all communicate that we're communicating with each other. Um, and, um, you kind of can't be in, in the click, you know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. this is a click, this is our team. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, that's that what Supreme meaningful. was about, right? Right. Exactly. That, right. That's but that felt was. meaningful, even in that kind of like early to mid 2010s moment, it felt meaningful. But now obviously, uh, none of that, it's just all, it's all very vomitous and that's, you know, you know, it's not what I wear. It's not, doesn't excite me. But again, that's to get back to the Barney's question and the Kith question. That's where the luxury dollar is. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a while before the luxury dollar changes. I mean, look at the Fendachi thing that just happened. Right. Oh, dear. No, God. I know. Right. And it's like to <laughs> me, it, it almost doesn't even matter if those pieces are interesting or not. Like I saw a couple things yeah. I thought maybe were interesting, but it's really it's about the mentality of the logo. It's about the mentality mm-hmm. of the collaboration. That's what people are buying into way more than they're buying into a specific heel or a specific dress or anything like that. Sure. Um, well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The garments don't matter. Not in, not in, not like in this moment. The, yeah. No, the design doesn't matter. You know, what matters is the logo. And I think part of it is because fashion is now a mass phenomenon. And, you, you know, I will argue with anyone that just the masses are not a good audience for fashion. Okay, right. But here, okay. So you sent me that article and you were like, we're going to talk about this article. Yes. Oh, Jesus. All right. So first of all, I want to caveat this up front. I don't know the guy, the kid, whoever. I don't, I don't know that person who wrote it. So anything that I'm about to say is not a representation 
or a shot at that person. So I just want to like caveat That's this. That's fine. Um, but yeah. you were talking about, it was about poptimism, quote unquote poptimism. Every now and again, someone will say, "Oh, John, you're a poptimist music critic." That is not the case. This is not how. That is not the lens through which I view mm-hmm. my art, my crit- my criticism, which is my art. Um, Call sign. Like I said in the beginning, sorry to interrupt. You're the only person, the only author who can get me to read about. To me, and to pop, me, pop and, and, music. And and to me, you the write reason, about it intelligently. But I try to bring that same thing, whether it's hip hop, country, metal, straight pop music, rock, whatever. To me, they're all equally deserving. And and also like underground independent music is as deserving of criticism as mainstream music. Um, the punchline, and I remember this article. I I did not remember the article until I got to the to the punchline, the kicker, where he was like, "Go listen to Speedy Ortiz." Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and I literally had, I Googled and obviously I'd written about Speedy Ortiz like a year prior to that article coming out. So I was kind of like real indie bro, like, like, you know, here you are like <laughs> name checking something I already wrote about in the New York Times literally 12 months before this. Anyway, that's a sidebar. The thing that irritates me about that mode of thinking is I actually believe that mainstream things, popular things are as deserving of our critical eye as the avant-gardists, as the people who are moving the narrative forward. And you know, as well as I do, that a lot of things that end up in centrist discourse, whether it's design, music, film, any aesthetics, start out at the margins. And then they crawl. I'm not, tra- I'm not trying to be all Miranda Priestly here, but like they crawl from the margins <laughs> and they inch towards the center. Not everything makes it. Not everything survives. It doesn't always survive in, in um, purest form. But a lot of mm-hmm. these things as reference points start out where you live and they end yeah. up in the middle. Now, I think, and I'm not saying you got to send Kathy Horan and Vanessa Friedman to the Gap to review the new Gap drop, but I am saying that it is worth, (laughs) but I am saying it is worth thinking about, okay, for example, sure. on, so on TikTok, right, you know, you get a lot of young women doing fit checks and, you know, there's plenty of, like, cool girls doing, like, weird vintage things. But, like, there's a lot of, like, just mainstream girls who are just like, this is Target mm-hmm. style. This is Aritzia. These are from Target. Da, 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 da. And it's an aesthetic. I'd like to read someone who knows a lot about fashion and fashion history thinking hard about Aritzia. I'd like to mm-hmm. read that. That's interesting to me. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that anybody who works at Aritzia gives a shit what a fashion critic thinks, but I think a fashion critic should be able to apply that eye to something as mainstream and yeah. centrist as that, as going to, you know, to write about whoever, Iris Van Herpen or whatever. Yeah. To no, me, I, I, and I that's agree. why, that's why I tried to do that in Shopper. But I'm not yeah. like a true fashion critic. It's like it's a little bit a side thing. But I feel sure. like, you know, you read like Rachel Tashin or someone like that, someone who's paying close attention to the center and to the margins and applying a similar perspective to both. That's interesting to me. And that to me is the counter argument to that article you sent me where it's like, mm-hmm. should we be 
blase blah what 13 year old kids are into and i'm like hell yeah i want to know what 13 <laughs> not only 13 year old kids have better taste than me or you what are you talking about like 13 year old kids have great taste and like some of my best writing has been about like the jonas brothers you know what i mean mm-hmm. and like if you're if you're a music critic and you can't do a serious piece of a general a generalist and you can't do a serious piece about the jonas brothers or early justin bieber or early Ariana Grande, like, what are you doing? If all you can do is, like, esoteric rock, you're not really participating in the whole conversation. You should be able to yeah. do the whole thing. That's how I feel. Yeah. All right. I'm going to counter-argue. Yes, please. <laughs> Although, actually, not really. Anyway, what I want to, like, so for the audience, and I should put that article up for the audience, we are talking about uh, an article about the rise of something called poptimism. It's from back from 2014. It was extremely about- late. It was a late article. <laughs> it was a late article on a fake movement. Yeah. Sorry. But, Sh- yeah, apologies so the, to that but, guy. Apologies to that guy. No, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he, the apology if he's well taken. If he's listening, yeah. apologies to that guy. I'm sure he is not. <laughs> but poptimism, so it, it's a phenomenon where he thought, and I agree there, that we are giving undue attention, elevating what he thought is really mediocre culture, right? And it's hard to say that he was centrist culture. Completely wrong. No, but centrist culture. But here's the thing. Do you know how much like indie cool music I've had to review in my life that sucked? The fucking uh, I'm sure. Uh, right. But, listen, it, but because you, it was because it was deemed kind of like intellectually provocative or whatever, it's like, oh, I've got to take it so seriously. I've got to be so sober uh, yeah. when I write about I it. I mean, I'm not going to defend. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I hate Inzy Rock. I think Inzy Rock is the thing that killed rock and roll. I think that's rock big, and roll committed suicide big time big because facts. they took they took all charisma out of rock music and that's when hip hop stepped in fully into that breach and I think that's I think that's fair I think that's fair Um, right but like that guy was sort of being like oh you know you're taking Beyonce so seriously you know as if Beyonce is not one of the best vocalists of the last 20 years is like a strange is like very strange and like I used to get a lot of flack very early in my career like I was one of the first people to write about Taylor Swift like in a mm-hmm. in a serious way, like this person's good, good songwriter, meaningful singing is mid, but like the songs are really good. Um, and people be like, ah, you can't take her seriously. Like, why would you take her seriously? And then and then this person is like one of the defining pop artists in the last 15 years yeah. and tells us a lot about the country we live in and the state of culture that we live in. And I think if we are ignoring that, if we are overlooking it because we think it's centrist or mediocre or or conceptually mediocre or narrow you're overlooking like a tremendous amount of cultural production in this country that actually has tactile meaning yeah I agree. And it's like, I I mean, I'm fine in my little cave. I don't mind. I don't mind. Look, I've I've been, I I say this because I've been in the cave. I used to live in the cave. Like, that's why I feel so comfortable saying it because like, I know that there's more to life than the cave. And now admittedly, it's my job. If my job was to write for like, 
um, the Quietus or the Wire magazine, right? <laughs> and all I was doing was re- reviewing like noise records. Then obviously I would feel some kind of way similar to this guy. But sure. I, I feel like but, I have. But the, you the, don't. The gift. But you honestly don't think there has been like undo. We're not talking about critical pieces because a critical piece, and the way you write it, the way you write, John. I hate. No, I don't hate to say it, but this is what I truly think. I really think you elevate a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I really do. Because I'll read your piece on Drake and I'll be like, oh, this is interesting. Until you start quoting lyrics. And then I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like the writing that surrounds the lyrics is like infinitely better well, that's than very, Drake's lyrics. That's very kind. And if Drake's listening, uh, I apologize. Drake's not uh, listening. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I hate to blow your bubble. Like there's going to be like 3,000 people who are going to listen okay. to this. I'm, those I'm, are, I'm giving you the stats. all of those 3,000 people are going to start fashion brands or fashion <laughs> blogs. It's going to be like this this podcast is going to be the velvet underground of fashion podcasts. Fuck yeah. Everybody who listens to it. That's right. We're quality over quantity. We're all about that. But I look, there are so many bad lyrics in every single genre of music. There are bad lyrics in avant-garde music. There are sure. bad lyrics in country music, in metal. Do you know how many bad lyrics there are in metal? Certainly That's even true. even art metal, like oat metal, like Southern Lord ty- and, and post type stuff. You know how much of that stuff's just – you look at it on paper and you'd be like, this is nonsense. This yeah. is absolute fucking nonsense. But Okay. Uh, let, let's, talk, let, let's talk about that for, for a second. Do yeah. you think – are we the last two people on earth who care about lyrics in music in 2021? I think we're in a particular moment where lyrics are not as central to the pop conversation as they used to be. And I think the perfect example of that, you look at Playboy Cardi, right? He's just basically doing like – he's like a bleeding goat. He's like, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's, 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 it's about texture. It's about melody. It's about presence and presentation. And it's about, um, interruption. It's about disruption. It's not so much about narrative. And that's okay. Like, look, hip hop was primarily a, there was such narrative power to hip hop, especially in the nineties, moving into the two thousands. But when hip hop arrived at a more party oriented era and a looser, more pop focused framework, it moved a little bit away from that. Now you could talk mess about Drake, but when Drake is on his storytelling, Drake's as good a lyricist as damn near anybody. But the, the sort of the more pop oriented sung, R&B songs are not his finest lyrical moments. But I'm it, when we get off this call, I could send you five great examples of great Drake storytelling raps. When they, they get, when when we get off this call, I want a 500 song <laughs> hip hop playlist. I really do because honestly, I've been so checked out and I'll I'll check in once in a while, right? Like remember when Kendrick Lamar got a Pulitzer prize? Yeah, sure. Kendrick, and, great like, story, great storyteller. Kendrick, great rapper, great, 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 great rapper, great words. Is he? Is he? Because I went and I listened. I listened to them, and then people told me, "Well, that's not the greatest example." And I was no, like, All "I would right, listen but, to, but to, Pimba, to Pimba to. Butterfly. I would listen to, to Pimba okay. Butterfly because that to me, that's the the kind of Naplu Ultra Kendrick record okay. to me. Damn is like the slightly more poppy Kendrick." 
Yeah, I'm like, I don't see a lyrical gift here. Lupe Fiasco, yes, I see definitely a lyrical oh, gift. Rapping about yeah. no, aliens and stuff. No, come on. No, come on. No. Uh, I, I also wrote about Lupe. I, 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 should, I shouldn't say that. I wrote an early Lupe Fiasco feature where I watched him skateboard in a park in Chicago. So, you know, shout out to Lupe Fiasco. I think there is a reason he's not really on the scene anymore. And honestly, I really think he is a really intelligent guy who maybe overthought this whole pop. And maybe the pop world is not for him because I think you got to have some. I don't think you can be like too sensitive. In also, this. I will say this. When Clubhouse was popping over last like last fall or last winter or whatever, my friend Justin like text me he was like yo lupe is wilding on clubhouse right now you gotta go listen and he was so that he was, he was on there saying some wild shit about religion like he was just like he was on he was boom he had zoomed into another plane oh really? uh, yeah so that was i was like I, i'll be honest i tuned in for 90 seconds and i was like no i it was, i was on I, there for like a good hour it was it was a lot so i think that I, might I'd, have I'd rather keep do. my opinion yeah i would yeah. rather keep my good opinion yeah. of his music rather than but this is, but the argument that we're having, not argument, but the disagreement is a sim, not dissimilar from a disagreement I had with a lot of like writers of my generation who kind of gave up. Like once hip hop really moved to the South, once certainly like in the post Drake era, certainly in like the young thug and gunna era. Like these are folks who like just very simply just like rap now does not sound like the rap that I grew up with. And therefore the rap that I grew up with is better. And the rap that that happens now is worse. Part of my job is to kind of shelve that kind of thinking and say, well, OK, mm -hmm. like I'm not going to be a person who's like Young Thug doesn't sound like Nas. Therefore, Young Thug is bad. That's not true. <laughs> That's obviously not true. So I try to engage with stuff and say, well, OK, I mean, I happen to really love Young Thug, but I also am like, why is Young Thug so popular right now? What is he doing on a technical level? What is he doing on a lyrical level? What is he doing on a performance level? That makes him stand apart. And that's what I try to do in these pieces. I think the longer I've been in the game, the less I'm trying to be like, this is a seven out of 10. This is a five out of 10. That stuff doesn't mm -hmm. really matter. It's way more important to contextualize why someone like Thug or Cardi or whoever um, is effective at the thing that they are doing right now. That to me is the role of a critic, especially in an era of abundance in an era of surplus where there are more songs uploaded to Spotify during the time that we've been recording this podcast, than I'll be yeah. able to listen to in the next six months. My job is to contextualize and try to put some kind of framing to help a less informed person approach the subject matter. That's what I feel yeah. like my job is. Okay, yeah. Well, then I want that 500 song playlist. I'll get right on it. Well, what, what are you paying? Yeah. What are you paying? Sex, it, it, antidote I'll, merch? I'll, You'll do it for an antidote for an antidote I'll do it for antidote merch. Okay. You know, a t-shirt and a mask and a pin. How we okay, got all I'll of think, that. All right. It's, it's, almost, it's almost fair. Almost fair drink. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah. I try to check in once in a while and I'm just like, this is just this, this, this. I, what I understand is the energy and the charisma and the power of music and that I can relate to. But that's because I come from, you know, punk, hardcore, of industrial. Uh, and it has that kind of 
energy. Maybe not so much now, not, now that it's so thoroughly pop. And that's why I like, remember, we, we had this little conversation when I said, oh, like when the SoundCloud rap yeah. started like mm-hmm. blowing up. That to me was the most interesting thing, maybe of for the, of the past ten years. It's been the, it and was then, like for sure the most like legitimate ideological yeah. shift. In, yeah, like in like the genre. Dirty, the last you know, years. like yeah. like yeah, like the I I I love it when it's dirty. I love it when it's lo-fi, and I love it when there is real pain. Yeah, I mean, look, all those little peep, like the early little peep albums, those Ronnie J productions, like the early Ronnie J productions for like Pump and Smoke Burp and stuff like that. Like that stuff was so radical. It was so radical. And and there are still elements of that that exist in the music that's being made today, but they've been parceled out. So like the pop punk stuff that's like starting to come into vogue, like the Kid Leroy and post Juice World when he was alive and post Juice World stuff, that's just like a very very clean version mm. of kind of like what yeah. Lil Peep or or XXX Tentacion was doing, um, yeah. and some of the lo-fi stuff has has been filtered off into like kind of more rap nerd stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like those those pieces are still here. They're just not. They don't. They're not. Um, they're attached. They got like magnetized yeah, yeah, to different yeah. parts of the genre now. Yeah, um, I feel like it's just been so quickly hijacked by like the pop music industry and sort of defanged. Yeah, but also you look at, you look now. at someone like like Cardi. Cardi is extremely popular, but he's not pop at all. But he's extremely popular, and now you have like a guy like Yeet who's like. You know, it's like Cardi's barely been around for three or four years establishing a style. And now you've got like someone who's just like ready to take the throne right away, yeah. right out from under him. <clears throat> and so, you know, these things are iterating so quickly. That's the other thing is like I could reasonably do even five years ago, whenever I did the SoundCloud rap piece, 2017, maybe four years ago. Yeah, I remember you, that piece. That that right. was my introduction. And I was like, oh, I think that, that was sounds the first or set one of the first, if not the first big piece about SoundCloud rap. Um, but even then, however many years ago it was, four or five years ago, you can reasonably point to something and be like, ah, this is like a trend. There's like a trend piece happening, trend thing happening. Let's go write about it. Whereas now things are iterating so quickly, they don't even have time to become fully formed scenes, especially during COVID when there's no physicality to the scene at all. Mm-hmm. Things happen so fast that you almost kind of, by the time you've got it in your hands, it's like sand and it's like falling through your fingers yeah, again. Yeah. What's your take on death grips? You know, it's um uh, No, I don't it's not no, for I'm me. Asking. It's it's um it's not for me. Uh I it's uh what do I think about death grips? Death grips is Weird. I think if we're gonna talk <laughs> if we're gonna talk about that style, I prefer clipping. To death grips if we're going to talk about okay. that style death grips always felt to me if, man this is a fucked up thing to say death grips it felt like and i don't think this is their intention i should say mm-hmm. but there are like a lot of like white dudes i know who are like not really into hip-hop but are like i like death grips and it, yeah. it seemed to like find a little bit of a niche with that kind of audience. And, 
you know, I it I I it's kind of like knee jerk a little bit when that's the narrative, right, right, um, right. But also, right. I just don't. I simply like don't love the records. Like they're okay. I just not. I just take my hardcore, hardcore, and I'll take my hip hop, hip hop. But like, I, mm-hmm. it's just it's. I never. You don't want to mix them up. I, I mean, I like the Judgment Night soundtrack just like anybody else. But uh, that the the yeah. aesthetic of it never really held up for me. And like I said, yeah. of that universe, to me. I think clipping is like more musically interesting. <laughs> oh my god, Judgment Night soundtrack, legendary. Uh, is, if anybody if has an know, extra large, know. if anybody has an extra large <laughs> Judgment Night or Judgment Night soundtrack or movie T-shirt, they want to sell me. I am all ears. I'm all ears. Okay, so the su- the subtitle of this podcast episode will be "If you know, you if know." If you know, you know. Because <laughs> because Judgment Night, Judgment Night is very <laughs> incredibly important soundtrack. If you're not bumping De La Soul and Teenage Fan Club, like what are you doing? Where are you at? Yeah, yeah. It it is a very important soundtrack. Uh, Run the Jewels. Yeah, Run the Jewels is good. Um, it's not like my like favorite favorite thing. I like of the four records. I really like two of the four records. You know, LP is, I think, a tremendous producer. Um, and I think Killer Mike's like a very, very good rapper. It's a little bit too like. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit for me. It's it doesn't quite like vary as much as right. I maybe would would gravitate towards. But like, I think Run the Jewels four was on my albums list last year and. Maybe it Run the Jewels was, 2 yeah. was on my albums list whenever that was. Like, I most I mostly like Run the Jewels. Uh, I don't play it a lot for pleasure. You mm. know, it's like really energetic, festival scale, pneumatic drill, high energy, hyper lyrical, mm. scabrous industrial production rap that I think is good and technically accomplished, but doesn't always hit my like pure pleasure centers. Mm. GM got me into it inadvertently because yeah. I asked him like what what's 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 the rage against the machine of today you yeah know, that's actually that's, a good I think that's with. fair that's a that's a fair comparison yeah yeah because I, I feel like that's the element that's missing for me often and again by by any stretch of imagination am I an expert but I feel like that's what's missing for me in hip-hop is that political that kind of anger that gives so much energy like i don't want to listen to nelly i don't want to i don't want to know what you're doing in the club you know like i i could like i couldn't give a shit you know that's not the hip-hop you're you're literally opening a store in atlanta the most club popping (laughs) i i know what are you talking about i know those that's gonna be your customer base you don't think I know, young, but you don't like, think Young Thug and Gunna are going to start shopping in Antidote? They better start. shopping. Of course, they're going to start shopping. Yeah, yeah. They better so. I so mean, you better we, get it. You better get involved in their music. Also, I should shout out. I think by the time this comes out, uh, this article will be out. But I was in Atlanta this summer uh, at Icebox for a couple of days. Icebox, a jewelry store where they film all those YouTube videos. Had a lovely time. Shout out, shout out, Mo. Shout out, Rafi. Shout out, Zahir. Um, and. You know, Atlanta, that's uh you're gonna have a celebrity rapper clientele. And oh yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I I, and- I hope that you will go listen to Gunna's Wanna and 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 see what he's about. <laughs> All right. Well now I have to. <laughs> um but I wanna switch to an undis 
undisputable topic is mm-hmm. the importance of fashion, especially male fashion and hip hop, yeah. because that's been that's been the story. You know, I, there's no other story for the past 10 years, 15 years, probably yeah. 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wanted to see like delve into it a bit more because to me, like the importance of someone like Kanye West, for example, is what he did for popularizing fashion amongst young men and i I can add also among young straight men you know because that's a real thing yeah yeah and you know i you know you know obviously i'm working on a book about kanye part of and that that style evolution i did not know that yeah yeah and that style influence is part of what what's going to be discussed in the book um yeah you know i i felt comfortable articulating a personal style because i saw rappers on MTV and BET articulating a personal style. And I felt like, okay, I can do that. I can, I can bring some of that into my life. And I, I think I'm not the only one. I think generations of kids, certainly generations Everyone. of Everyone. I yeah, did yeah. that. You know, yeah, yeah. only for me, it was, you know, Trent Reznor. And, sure. Of course. Of, you know, right. Which is, you know, a totally viable aesthetic, totally viable aesthetic. Um, yeah. But the thing that I was always waiting for, and this really didn't happen until four or five years ago. I felt that as influential as someone like Kanye was, or even as important as hip hop was to the shaping of men's clothing in the Mm nineties with Polo and Tommy and all that stuff. Um, I, I never was totally sure that they would let designers, certainly not black designers who came from a hip hop background into these houses and remake mm-hmm. these houses from within using that toolkit. I didn't know if that would ever happen. And Kanye would always rail about he wanted to take over a luxury house. He wanted to be given the keys. You know, Kanye wants to run Hermes, but he also wants to run the Gap. He has He's a very ambitious guy. <laughs> um, yes. But, you know, I, I was always yeah. – But, you know, I naively, when Kanye was starting to, like, articulate his desires in fashion – you know, when I was younger, I was kind of like, well, sure, like someone should give him a shot, you know, Versace, Fendi, whatever, like someone should give him a shot. Um, and I didn't really understand why that didn't happen. I have a little bit more sense of that now in the rear view. I understand why that didn't happen. But what happened is Kanye trained, whether literally or indirectly, a generation of people who could work in that system. And that's Virgil, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's Heron. I wrote a piece for the style section a couple of years ago talking about uh, Tremaine Emery from Denim Tears, the Beastroy guys, Ev Bravado from Who Decides War, and Bloody Osiris, who's not a designer, but a stylist and kind of like um, rock star of getting dressed. Um, these are all folks who are very much in the Kanye family tree. And so when you see what Virgil's doing in Louis Vuitton, that's, that's, you know, that's hip hop. This is hip hop. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, like doing a fucking Birkenstock in like an LV logo print that I paid way too much money for. Yeah. That's him. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's. And when I saw, you know, it's like, it, these are things that hit like very direct, like pleasure centers for me. Like yeah. I don't own actual Birkenstocks. I mean, I have Rick Owens Birkenstocks, but I don't own like right. actual, of course. Right. But I don't own like off the rack Birkenstocks, but like I saw these and I was like, Ooh, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. That makes me really happy. Um, you know, that 
hip hop's remaking of the luxury template through what Virgil's doing and what even like sort of kind of like what Matthew Williams is doing eh, a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, even like Samuel Ross, um, you know, there's other folks incorporating that aesthetic palette, that toolkit and applying it to luxury, both to luxury we like and also luxury like we dislike, you know, it's like when I look at Philip Pline, who I just am so desperate to talk about on this podcast. Mm, well, I just talked about him on another podcast, but I think it will come out before that. One. Okay. But <laughs> Philip Pline, um, Philip Pline is doing his twisted European version of hip hop maximalism. That's his, what Philip his, Pine his Euro trash version of <laughs> You say that. You say that. I'm not gonna say it, but you say it. But that's well, what Philip Pine's not? doing. And like low key, first of all, shout out everybody on TikTok and the Explore planes that's like starting to like reclaim Philip Pine, who I think is bad for the record. But I, I sort of like every now and again there's like one piece out of five hundred where I'm like Oh, this is almost sublime. It's so bad. It's almost <laughs> sublime. Yo, the Philip Pine outlet at Woodbury Common. One of my Philip Pine outfit. There was outlet, maybe oh. two, three years ago. There was a pair of sneakers there that I genuinely have been searching for ever since. They looked. Ex- they were based, I think, off of the Nike Terminator, and they were. They were like halfway between the Nike Terminator and those old Versace high tops that had like the Medusa head straps. They were somewhere in between there. They were incredible. And I was like just getting comfortable with the idea that like maybe there could be a possible good item at Philip Line. And I didn't I buy them. See you in I did, and I didn't buy them because I couldn't I couldn't compute the math in my head. And I regret it ever since. And I've done so many Google searches to try to find oh. this one pair of sneakers to no avail. Anyway, Philip Line's bad, but Philip Line is also a product of the thing that you were describing, like filtered yeah. through European Oat, oat trash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you read my Philip Line show review in High Snobiety? No, I won't. Tell me about it. Oh, John, I'll send it to you. I don't, okay. don't want to hug the airwaves. It's no, it's hug the, well, okay, well, that's all right. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll I'm, send I'm it here. To you. What am I here to talk about if not Philip Line? Okay, I'm say I'm saving the entire story for another podcast on okay. which I was a guest on, so it wouldn't be fair to that podcast. Okay, we don't want to. Yes, okay, to we'll to that break podcast. that story because. But uh, as soon as that's out, I'll send it. You. I had okay. I have a Philip Line story that's fucking. A plus, oh. plus, plus. Oh. That will never. That that's one for a memoir if I ever okay. write one. But I can't wait. We're gonna have to wait. It's not fair to the other podcast. Okay, I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> but let's. Uh, yeah, I mean. But you're right. That is the narrative. Like the narrative of men's high end luxury, and you know, even like Vetmont and, and to Demna Balenciaga and so on and so forth. Like that's yeah. all. It's all connected to this. It's all connected to that aesthetic narrative. It's all connected to Kanye. Um, this yeah. is, you know, that's, and I agree. And the thing that I'm most interested to know is how much longer is that going to be the case? Like, when's the next replacement aesthetic coming along down the pipeline? Because, like, rock and roll, quote unquote, shaped, shaped men's fashion for 10, 20, 30 years. So why shouldn't? Yeah. 
hip hop shaped men's fashion for 10, 20 or 30 years. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, we're going to see this for another 10 years, at least, I think, if not more, if not more, because I it just the world has shifted. And it, and it's not just hip hop, right? Because it, it's also Instagram. I mean that you can, and now it's mm-hmm. TikTok. Yep. And so everything is two Z. Everything's going to be obvious. Everything's going to be logo driven, and there's a lack of nuance. And that rubs me the wrong way. What I do like, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but Go what ahead. I do like about Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> one sentence that rarely leaves <laughs> leaves Smoke those lips smell it, it. Get, get it all in your yeah. nostrils get it all in your uh, nostrils and he really did blaze the trail for interest and of male interest in fashion and interesting fashion and high-end fashion and yes a lot of it has become you know common lowest common denominator and bastardized and doesn't go beyond the logo t-shirt and whatnot. But he took some risks, and that cannot be denied. And he got a lot of shit for it. Of a course. lot of homophobia. Huge You know, shit. like, rem- you remember when, he, you know, when he wore that Givenchy killed? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, there's like, he got so much hate and, like, so many homophobic comments. And he, to, to his credit, and I, even though I think that credit due his, to his, unhealthy amount of narcissism but he was like yeah that's just me and that's what i do and and well and and also followed and also i and i i'm i don't want to get this factually wrong but i think this is when i did that story on kind of like the post post kanye generation for styles a -hmm. couple years ago all all of those guys fyi in the met show Denim Tears, yeah. Who Decides yeah. War, and Beast Roy, all in the Met show. So shout out to whoever curated that. Maybe they read the article. Anyway, sidebar. But I think it was Tremaine. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was Tremaine who basically they were – I was talking about Kanye, and, and they were saying Kanye is the person, you know, you like – we'll see a movie about like a war, you know, in like the 1300s or something. And there's like someone who's like running out in front of the, the platoon – to see what's over the mountain. And then Kanye's a guy who like runs back with all the arrows like shot into his back. <laughs> he's like, yeah, they're there. They're there. The enemy's yeah. there. But he's taking all the hit. He's taking all the hits. And yeah. you're right. Kanye, like all this shit we take for granted now, everything that Rocky does so comfortably mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. easily, he's able to do it comfortably and easily because Kanye was there taking the, taking the shots for years yeah. before. And I think Rocky dresses beautifully, spectacularly. He, yeah, he, he may he's, be he's the an incredibly most stylish ele- yeah, male on earth. Very he, elegant, very elegant, refined, and eccent- quietly eccentric dresser. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the reason that he's allowed to just live and be that way is, is in large part because of Kanye and then slightly adjacently Pharrell uh, and so on. So right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think, and to go back to our conversation about all the rappers shopping Mm -hmm. in Antidote in Atlanta. That's right. Do you you think, uh, because that's what I'm selfishly counting on, do you think, and I think that hip hop is ready to take the next step 
and already has been taking next steps to sort of elevate itself out of this like lowest common denominator fashion. I think it's already been happening. I mean, look, you definitely going to be selling some undercover pieces to Gunna, like a hundred percent. You'd definitely be doing that. If you look at like how Tyler dresses, like with pastel Chanel Chanel purses, um, you know what I mean? Like, we're already in that we're already in that era. There's already mm-hmm. if anything, we're we're like so much in that era that we don't even think of it as remarkable anymore. You know, for now, now the entry level fashion for a rapper is a Balenciaga, a Prada, a Gucci. Now, admittedly, I don't like a lot of what that's st- I don't like a lot of the Gucci stuff. Yeah. Oh, the Gucci shopper column. That's That was a good one. I reread that today. The Gucci <laughs> shopper column. I mean, that might have been an yeah. all-time. That's a top five. That might have been a top five. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that's the entry stuff. And whereas in the 90s, that wasn't the entry stuff. In the 90s, sure. it was Polo yeah. and Tommy and, and, and yeah, Tim's. Yeah. Um, Timberland. So, yeah. so now rappers are entering the fashion conversation much earlier and, and at a much mm-hmm. higher level. But I don't think everybody is cut out to wear the most experimental, the most avant-garde pieces, the the most fashion. No, of course not. Not, not everybody's cut yet. out for that. But oh, I do yeah, think that absolutely. people are starting at a much higher level now than they than they did even five years ago. Well, not nah, five, maybe like seven or eight years ago. I think we're yeah. really we're really just yeah. everybody yeah. everybody wants to play the game now. I think so too, and I do see, and I don't really follow. Like I don't like my Instagram feed is not full of people wearing shit, so I only get it from other people. But I do see like you know. Kendrick Lamar wearing cray green all the time and stuff like that. And and that gives me an ASAP Rocky, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's also Yeah, incredibly. But, but also like but those I, guys have moved on from this sort of lowest common denominator stuff. But but to me, like it, it, we're also starting to see the real exciting, like the the sort of spillover it's not necessarily always going to be in the artists like okay like just a random story i happened to be in bodhi a few weeks ago actually gian was there same time and who else was there (laughs) of course (laughs) i mean it was just like it was it couldn't have been more fun but who also was there at the same time was joe fresh goods joe fresh goods is a guy from chicago he does a lot of collaborations with like new balance stuff like that and he he was bracking out at bodhi and was wearing a beautiful south two west eight supreme collaboration mesh military fishing jacket um with his um most recent new balances they went really really well together with him i'm pretty sure i think it was trinidad james who was with him trinidad james like Mm. extreme dandy like extreme hyper dandy and they were talking about heading out to meet tizo touchdown and tizo touchdown i don't know if you've seen photos of tizo tizo literally has nails a hair piece of nails like a full, just like you want to talk about an aesthetic that would make sense to you in the subcultures that you grew up in. This is some shit you would be into. Like this is All some right. like hyper industrial, like, you know, like goth, goth industrial, just harsh, harsh aesthetic. Each of these folks doing not the same style, but all interesting iterations off of the same base. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I see that, that excites me way more than like, you know, does offset 
or or Quavo have like an expensive pair of pants. You know, like yeah. that doesn't do a lot for me. But when I see the the fashion kids and the kind of hangers on doing stuff that's like super evolutionarily interesting, that excites me. And the fact that mm-hmm. those kids are in hip hop, those are hip hop kids doing that. Yeah, it's and a recontextualization. That's exciting. Right. Have. That to me, that's way more exciting than yeah. whatever, you know, entry level Balenciaga Fortnite shit some rapper is wearing right now. Yeah, that that you wanted to buy, just that's on record. For you, by the way. I want to buy it for right? you. I want to buy it strictly for the purpose of seeing your face when I was like this. That's that was it. I don't aspire to own that garment. All right. Uh, so what you're saying is that tomorrow you would have resold it, right? On, yeah. On Grail. That's Absolutely. what you're saying. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Or returned then that's it. Fair. Maybe I would have kept the tag on and returned it. <laughs> yeah. Then that's that. That's very zeitgeist. That that that's very much of Thank today. You. Thank <laughs> you. When people are, we're now like I'm I'm at antidote. I'm asking now like people like the manager to track like the ratio of our our uh, sales to returns on farfetch uh-huh. <laughs> and i'm uh-huh. like mm, yeah 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 took a picture on instagram sent it yeah, back yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's i don't generally do that over on this side but every now and again it happens yeah. <laughs> um do you do you think New York is back stylistically? Because I've been mm. very excited walking on the streets of New York yeah. uh, after the pandemic. Yeah. And I, for the first time, because I've been so disappointed with New York. I've been so disappointed with like this, you know, basic bitch. And when I say basic bitch, I mean both sexes. I don't mean, right. you know, I mean female and male equally. Uh, this kind of aesthetic that's came got from nowhere mm-hmm. upper middle class uh, yeah i i you know i think that i'm seeing more people dressing more interestingly certainly downtown i don't really hang out like in bushwick or ridgewood or whatever shout out to people who live in Bushwick or Ridgewood. I, I just don't. I, I just, <laughs> just don't, I just go, don't. There. I just don't just, go there. I just don't go there. We're too I, yeah, old. I mean, I'm too old to be half the places I am anyway, but like, I just, for whatever reason, <laughs> I don't find myself in those neighborhoods that much. But like, you know, obviously the Y2K stuff is incredibly heavy right now. Uh, I'm interested to see people. I'm seeing a lot of young people making their own clothes, whether it's screen printing or DIYing mm-hmm. stuff. I feel like the democratization of knowledge about how to do stuff, it's so easy to learn how to do things that I see a lot yeah. of people making their own stuff. Some of my most favorite like people to follow on TikTok, like I have no idea what their real names are. They're just like random, like well-dressed, interestingly weird-dressed cool kids who are like 17 or 18 or 19 who live downtown or live in Brooklyn. And I'm just like fascinated with the fits. I feel like I see those kids in Tompkins Square Park like just like wilding mm-hmm. out and having a great time. And that makes me think like, oh, New York's back or like some version of New yeah. York is back. That I excites think me. so too. Yeah, exci- I'm so I'm so happy right now because like every time I walk on the street now, unless it's a Saturday, Sunday and you're in Soho, which is a no, no. But like every I haven't and I'm so happy to say it because I've been so down on New York for so long where I was like, you know, this city is done. Like, 
I like I can't look at these fucking people in leggings anymore. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Men and men in flip flops and like mm-hmm. all that shit. This I was just like I can't look at this shit. All of a sudden, I feel like well, New York is back, and, it, and it's, it's getting the young it's kids. Getting weird. It's getting weird again. I, I was texting someone earlier today, yeah. uh, who's lived outside of the city for a long time, but who's going to move back, and they're asking like, "What's it like?" And I was like, it's yeah. teetering on the edge of something. I don't know it, if what, it's, it's, it's much more exciting. Yeah. I don't know if it's like good or like explosive. I don't know. Like, I, I can't quite tell if like we're about to like go up in flames as a city or if we're about to have like a full bounteous renaissance. But it does feel certainly in the last few months uh, that I, I, I feel like individuality, creativity, eccentricity. Um, experimentation. I just feel like I'm seeing more of it casually out and about. Me too. And, and me that makes too. me, and that makes me excited. And also to be honest, even if we're talking like higher end fashion, right? A lot of the places mm-hmm. that used to be where people shopped, whether it's Totokayo or, or um, Barney's or whatever, they don't exist anymore. So it's yeah. like, yeah. where would you go to be like luxury basic now? Like, where would you even go? Like half those places don't exist anymore. So you have yeah, to like, but I also think because weird. yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no place for them anymore. It's like now it's just mono brands because there are not that many people anymore who really who buy like really interesting fashion, and so there's just either mono brands where people go for like lowest common denominator should and people argue with me like about balenciaga all the time and they're like oh yeah you know yeah but balenciaga puts out like cool stuff on the runway i'm like yeah but have you gone to the actual store Sure, it's different it's a fucking logoria you know like even the suits in the store have balenciaga on it like there is not a single piece that doesn't that doesn't have a logo on it wait let me ask you wait sidebar question have you sure. ever owned an item of Chrome Hearts? No. Who do you take me for? No. I don't know <laughs> if like I'm kidding. No, no I'm kidding. I, I have I have the utmost respect for Chrome Heart for the ethos of Chrome Hearts as a maker. Yeah. But I I can't fuck with that aesthetic. That's even even not. like fifteen years ago, like even like in your younger years, even fifteen years ago, even yeah. The, uh, I mean. There was one pair of Rick Owens combat boots that they reworked. And I have the original combat boots that yeah. I thought, well, it's tasteful. There's like, you know, a little like silver, like fleur-de-lis yeah. on it. And I was like, and it was like that. And the zipper was like, you know, silver. And that was about it. And that was the only thing where I was like, mm, yum. But yeah, it's not my aesthetic. But utmost respect for the ethos of the company, for the handmade, yeah. for the America made, yep. for like artisanal. I mean, we're talking like the store, like talking about build, not buy. Like, yeah, yeah we're going to make the fucking store, you know, yeah. down to the locks yep. and keys. I very much respect that. And I very much respect that story in America, because as you know, like craft in America has taken a serious nose. Absolutely. Dive. Yeah, yeah. So no, yeah, I yeah I I um yes I I agree with you. It doesn't generally fit with my aesthetic. Some I I, I would not have been mad at getting a pair of carpenters like reworked Chrome Hearts Carhartt carpenters. I wouldn't have been mad at that. I also recently saw a necklace that I considered buying that, but I just I ultimately decided yeah. I couldn't I couldn't uh, I couldn't. 
Yeah. I couldn't reconcile the cost of it with the amount yeah, that it's, I would wear it. Yeah, it's also really fucking expensive. Yeah. But, you know, I have you been to the store in uh, West Village? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, have you been to the second floor? Oh, no, not normally. No, yeah, I went, so through, I went really to an let, event there. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I'm not okay. I'm not like on the list. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that place is amazing, right? You go to the second floor, which, yeah, they don't really, you know, I'm yeah. privileged because I know the manager who's a real sweet guy. And mm-hmm. I, it's a funny story, which I guess I should say the manager, one of the managers, a huge fan of like Andy Millimister. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. And I walked into the store with Anne. Ah, <laughs> and he almost fainted, I think. <laughs> and, and then, of course, he gave us, you know, of the course. tour, and, and he was so smitten. And oh my god! Wait, you might have to plug. You might have to plug me with the manager so that I can go to the second floor of the uh, yeah. Store. Next time we go together, wow. and, and you know, you go there, and that's really where you see the, this ethos of we're gonna make everything we're gonna make it by hand we're gonna make it in america we're gonna use the best possible materials and we're gonna make shit just to just because we can and there is something about that that i love yeah i agree it's it's um it's uh all the things that people dismiss about chrome hearts are the things that i like about chrome hearts the kind of like i mean i would not the fuckitness of it yeah, I find yeah. it extremely, exactly. extremely admirable. That's exactly it. And I, it's very American. And I love that it's this like, this like little Jewish guy on a fucking Harley. And he's all about like, I love America. And like, I'm the product of America, you know? And yeah. it, like, it just, it quietly breaks so many stereotypes mm-hmm. because you don't expect that, you know? Mm-hmm. But he's so unabashedly about like I got my leather pants and my silver jeans. Yeah, it's and like my literally Harley and my American flag and it's literally as like quote unquote American as Ralph Lauren. Like you know what I mean? Like absolutely. it's 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 as much a heritage brand as Ralph yeah. Lauren. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. No, 100%. Yeah, no, in that way, yeah. But just aesthetically it's it's but you know like jewelry, I'll go like Workstadt Munchen any day. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. And I and uh, and it's and you know, it's not my aesthetic either, uh, stri- like on a day in day out. But like, I I do like some of their jewelry pieces, and uh, but I agree, like Verkstad, something like that. It's probably more affordable for like a slightly yeah. more conceptual design. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, on that note, that's uh, it. Is there anything? Well, no. Uh, listen, we can, come on. Okay, let's keep going. I mean, I I love talking to you, and whenever like we so rarely talk for I know. so long, and it's like we we rarely see each other. No, I'm down. What else like, do you want to talk about? No, I would talk. I want to talk about I, literally anything you want to talk about. What was on your list? Was there anything on your list that we didn't talk about? All right. uh, New York shopping. The, Wait, do oh, you ever something. do you ever do you ever go to Bergdorf? I do, and I'm just going to spit it out. I'm going to caveat by saying that I love Bruce Pask, and I think okay. <laughs> he's like one of the best peeps. Mm-hmm. But I've tried to love Bergdorf, and I just can't. I haven't been in the last – I haven't been since before COVID. I really feel like I need to yeah. go to kind of like – because I feel like Bergdorf might be the last of like those – 
you know, like Midtown, multi-brand. Like, it's the last of that. Prepare Nordstrom And Nordstrom, man. too. No, no, I'm sure. But, like, Nordstrom's, like, a little bit more consumer-focused, and Bergdorf is, I, I think, a little more, yeah. like, luxury-focused, but whatever. Yeah, um, but, but but it's, again, it's, 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 not, it's not that... It, it's really... And I know that there there is an answer to it, and I know you're going to tell me the answer, but I'm like, why is everyone going after the high beast customer? Like, really? Like, do we because have the no other, other customer there, left? No, there is no other customer left. Because the people who bought accessible casual luxury in their 30s and 40s five to 10 years ago are now too old, and all they're wearing is actual suits or, like, golf clothes. They don't need, you know, they don't need that kind of thing and then a younger customer who like started out dressing like their favorite rapper now has some money and they want to buy fucking Balenciaga and Palm Angels so why does Atelier carry Palm Angels do you know the answer to that question well because this is very different Atelier this is not you know that you know that Carlos Steele that co-founder of Atelier Mm -hmm. he's now my buyer he's a buyer's antidote Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He oh. moved down to Atlanta. Damn. All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, he's still, so we're back, baby, yeah, but in a different <laughs> in a different capacity. Yeah. No, no, it's a, it's a very different uh, atelier now. I, I so just think it's, look, like it's a mix. I just think that customer doesn't exist. And like on a very fun, like on the days where I still go up and down Madison Avenue, which doesn't happen that much, but you know, you go into Isaiah store, you go into Berluti, and he's that's an older customer at this point. That's that's a customer yeah. that's not engaged with the rest of quote unquote fashion. If that's where mm. you're buying your clothes, you are not thinking about fashion. You're just a rich right. person going to expensive stores. But for people who are thinking about fashion, quote unquote, that generation that you're referring to, that generation that used to buy, you know, like pre-hype beast Balenciaga or whatever, they've aged mm-hmm. out of it. And the only people available now who have money or want to come off as if they have money are people who come from the generation of excess. And that's why yeah. all those brands are thriving and making those choices. They're not choices that like speak to me particularly loudly, but that's yeah. that's where the dollar is. You know, it's like – I don't find like I'm at the point where I don't find it remarkable anymore. I I, I used to mm-hmm. find it remarkable. I just don't find it remarkable anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's so embedded in the water supply by now that it's like, and this is actually I wonder, like you know, for a while I've had this output of opinion pieces, mm-hmm. yes, that have done that have done really well. Yeah, I must say, but I find myself like I, you know I I had a talk with the editor at business of fashion they were like you don't write for us as much as you used to and I, and I was like it's not because i don't want to but i feel like i don't have that much to say anymore because it's been like the same thing yeah. for the past five years like there is nothing really i've already you know i've critiqued it to a point that i could i don't want to sound like a broken record i don't mm-hmm. want to Certainly don't want to sound, you know, like a disgruntled old man. So, like, I don't really like it is what it is. No, and I I agree. And you don't look the worst thing, especially as a critic, like a professional critic, like who try does this work every week, you know, every day, every week. 
I don't, if I feel like I've said something already, I don't feel obliged to, to say it again. Yeah. Um, not that everybody's read everything that I've written. Of course, that would be arrogant to presume that. And sometimes my editor will even say to me, she's like, you're writing this as if you assuming people have already read these other things you've written. And like, you can't right. assume that. And I, that's totally fair. Um, yeah. But um, it's fatiguing for me to to express the same type of opinion three or four times over in three or four different ways. Um, and that's why, like, I really wait for, like, a jolt of excitement or a jolt of frustration to really inspire. Mm-hmm. In, inspire. And look, I'm, you know, when I started at the Times, I reviewed four or five concerts a week. Didn't matter if I had a something to say about it yeah. or not, you know? Like, I just, that was the job. Obviously... I've been here a long time and I don't have to do that particular pace of work anymore. Um, But because of that, I'm like much more selective. And I feel like when I drop a piece, I hope there's at least like one new idea embedded Mm -hmm. in each of these. And same thing with shopping columns. Like when I'm doing shopping columns, like there are stores that I just don't do because I just don't feel that like it adds anything to the discourse for me to do those stores. So this list of stores that I'm sitting on, each of them, it's not simply here's a new store and I'll go to it. These are places I've Mm -hmm. already been to. I've already conceptualized. I already know what the contribution to the idea discourse is. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what's exciting to me about this work at this at this moment in time. And so I understand why Mm -hmm. you would feel like you already got your bars off. So like, yeah, no need to again. I don't. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be a so greatest. Ha- you don't want to be a greatest hits review. You know, you don't want to be just playing your own hits. No. Yeah. Exactly. Even like I do like resurrecting pieces from my archive for like for the new, especially Instagram for the new audience. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I started a personal Instagram, which I resisted for so long. But then I was like, you know what? It is what it is, and it's fine. And so I just put my archive articles on it and it's for a new audience and they, they respond so well and i'm like oh i'm so happy this like there's a new lease on life for these absolutely pieces. because there's always going to be people who have not seen this stuff um there's always going to be you know the the internet moves so fast there's stuff you could have put something out three weeks ago and i haven't seen it you know yeah exactly say nothing and i feel like also like, and also i think like so many people read the articles and they don't look at the bylines uh-huh. And then they're like, I mean, I've had people like, oh, there was this amazing article, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yeah, I wrote that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you ever had that. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, okay. We we, I, I, we could talk forever, but but let me ask you, do you, you've been to the archive in San Francisco, I assume? Yes. Yeah. 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 They're done. Um, yeah, are, oh, I thought they were coming back. Are they totally done? I think they were. Oh, if they're coming back, great. But oh, I'm not sure. I, I, I thought they to, were. Oh, I don't know. But I was set to see them go out of business. Yeah, it's um. I've I've been there two or three times. Um, uh, had a lot of fun shopping there. I got a great Guidi bag from there. Mm-hmm. Um, a Giorgio guys. a Giorgio yeah. Brado shirt, like a hand dyed. Oh, shirt. Yeah. <sighs> 
Yeah, mean, yeah. Mean. I used to buy that stuff mean. at Century Twenty One. No one oh, wanted it. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like, but that's, but to your and just to your point in the beginning, like about being eclectic. It's like I'm not trying to like consciously be eclectic. Like my thing is like I want to go into a place like the archive and find something that fits my aesthetic. In the same way, I go mm-hmm. to like M.A. Leon Door. And find something that fits yeah. my aesthetic. Same way I go to CHCM and find something that fits my aesthetic. Like that's it's making those disparate ideologies like all work together mm-hmm. for me. That's that's my approach. And how how do you reconcile? Because they're so different in terms of aesthetics. And I mean, I mean, Leon is a brand that I don't understand, even mm-hmm. though Gian have tried to explain it to me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And everyone's like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's like a perfect pair of sweatpants. And I'm like, in 2021? Like, oh, well, I don't, that's not, perfect- I don't buy, I don't buy that <laughs> stuff from them. I buy okay, more okay. of the fall winter type of sweater pant like you know carpenter pants like things like that like a little bit sturdier pieces i don't really wear sweatpants or really even sweatshirts um but like to me like those are pieces that like are like very functional but also go like in my mind i'm still dressing the way that i dressed in 1991 it's a little bit more modern it's a little more streamlined it's a little bit pricier but it's the same thing yeah we yeah. So, same, so like, same here. So like I can do that with a pair of pants from that store and I can do that with a Giorgio Prado shirt from the archive, mm-hmm. which like reminds me of like how my Italian cousins used to dress. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. It's just like yeah, the yeah, extremely yeah. expensive version of like how my Italian yeah. cousins used to dress. So yeah, to me, that's that's how you build a personal aesthetic. It's like I don't mm-hmm. go to a store and be like, I, I only dress. I only wear drakes. I only wear kith and that's not it for me. I have the aesthetic in my mind already. And then I'm constantly seeing things out in the world and finding a way to, to, to build them into what I'm already doing. That's the way mm-hmm. that's, that's it. So we're going to go to Chrome hearts. So we're going to Chrome hearts. Yeah. So we're going to, yeah, exactly. Because that's, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Great. Sounds I'm, good. We're going to make a trip out of it. What are some of your, uh, favorite stores that are not in new york like worldwide sure that's a i mean that's a really good question because there's there's a lot um yeah let's okay um okay in chicago recently i was at george green in chicago which I think is like, a Oh my God, you discovered it. Was that a discovery or did you know about it? I knew about it, but I hadn't been before. I had only been for the first time. I mean, is it a trip or what? You totally. see like Chrome hearts and MI cross next to like, Isaiah suits. Yep. I was like, <laughs> I was like, y'all really made this store for me. It's very interesting. <laughs> I was like, I was fucking, I was fucking with it. Heavy. I got an insane. I don't remember the brand. It's some brand I never heard of. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Italian, uh, a cashmere, like a crew neck, like a very kind of basic crew neck cashmere mm-hmm. sweater, but in a color, a shade of orange that I've just never in life seen. Like just like a wild, like mustardy, yeah. cardboardy, high vis, or it was outlandish. Yeah. Oh, I, I believe it because they, they, they're the one store that buy 
am I cross in like yellow leather? Where I would book and be like, oh, I did not know that exists. They were about they there. were about that life. I was extremely <laughs> I was into yeah. it. I fuck with it heavy. Um, and then obviously on a more kind of like accessible level in Chicago, obviously no trade is really good. You know, Totokayo in Seattle mm-hmm. was very important. Certainly the early like I was lucky enough to go to the original store uh, in the first location and the second location, which was spectacular. Also, there's a low key store in Seattle that nobody ever talks about called Jack Straw. Are you up on Jack Straw? No. Jack Straw is kind of wavy. They don't even sell on the internet, I don't think. And the guy, oh, when I was there, one like, of those. Uh, and the guy was like, he wasn't like mean, but he just like didn't seem terribly interested in my business. But I was like into it. Like, I was very excited. So he was like, it's a little bit more businessy. Like I bought, he carried the Gigi, you know, that line, the Gigi. It's like kind of uh-huh. like formal shirts. He carried that. They were the first ones in America that I saw carrying that. Dono Lee, which was a French, uh, French kind of like a, you know, Oxford cloth, like high end Oxford cloth stuff. Uh, he was mm-hmm. carrying that. That I have. I have a beautiful shirt that uh, I got from him. Um, you know, I think he carries maybe Junior and a few other like kind of like more obvious stuff. Okay, but like, okay. um, but like also like smart uh, office wear for lack of a better right. way of putting it. Uh, and like not a really robust web situation at all. I just found it like when I was Googling like Seattle men's stores and it happened to be near okay. my hotel. And I just was like, went in, I was like, the fuck is this? How, how does this exist? <laughs> um, what else? Um, you what's know, oh, um, uh, in LA, what's the fucking store in LA in downtown LA that's near Dover street. Um, Departamento. Departamento. Yeah. Departamento is pretty good. Um, LA Dover Street is good. Um, mm-hmm. What? I don't know. What else? You don't, uh, fuck, you don't, you don't fuck with Max Fields. It's fine. I, I, well, first of all, talk about H. Lorenzo. My God. Let's, I love, let's okay. talk about it. For, okay. Just uh, <laughs> Max Fields. Briefly about Max Fields. I very look. I've been shopping for a long time. I'm not like a rich person, but I've gone in. You know, I go into enough like wealthy type stores that like you know I mostly feel comfortable. Maxfield's like one of the only stores where I ever was made to feel poor by like the yeah. employees. Yeah. Like I was treated like with almost like active hostility mm-hmm. by the employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've only you. been like tw- I've only been like twice. Um, mm-hmm. H. Lorenzo. First of all, H. Lorenzo on Sunset is the one like the other one doesn't do very much for me with all like the song ones yeah. and whatever. Like that doesn't do a lot for me, <laughs> but like the H Lorenzo on Sun- that store is like verging on the erotic as far as like the <laughs> textures of the fabrics and the shapes mm-hmm. and the draping of those garments. And like everybody who works there is like, like a tanned buff God, which I am not. So like all their like drapey shirts look amazing on the staff. And I know they would look terrible on me, but I so much enjoy being in that H Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's, it's, it's really like a great retail experience truly is a window into a way of being in the world. And Ed, that yeah. H. Lorenzo is genuinely a window into a way of being that is not my way of being, but I'm grateful to know that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. hear you. They were one of my first advertisers. Yeah. Sure. Of course. Yeah. yeah um, really. I had a story idea 
that I never did. So like, I, this is going to be really random and maybe someone will steal this fucking story idea, which I hope they don't. But like yeah. when, when Lionel Richie became a judge on American Idol, he was coming in these like incredibly <laughs> drippy leather pieces. And I was like, does Lionel Richie shop at H. Lorenzo? Like it kind of <laughs> like it had that energy, yeah. you know, could have been Maxfields or whatever, or it could have been custom. But I was like, yo, I want to go to H. Lorenzo with Lionel Richie and like, tr- like these kind of like burgundy leather, like hand cuts, hems, like what? I don't know what he's doing. He's doing wild shit. Anyway, I think it might have come from H. Lorenzo. Just a thought. Maybe. Um, but I do love H. Lorenzo. Are there stores that you genuinely love in America? Forget overseas, but in America. Uh, there is Antidote in Atlanta. There you go. Uh. <laughs> talk, talk that shit. Uh well of course the the former atelier was yep you know the atelier on Hudson Street on Crosby Street that was the store um right now I can't think of any stores that I love uh that I truly love that are like destination I, I, stores no yeah I don't really yeah I don't can't find it. You know, there are stores that I will always go into. Like if I'm in a city, I will always go into. I do like these weird old stores. Like if I'm in Boston, I'm going to go into Alan Bilzerian. Yo, Alan Bilzerian. <laughs> oh, I love Alan Bilzerian. First of all, shout out my colleague Wesley who put me on Alan Bilzerian. Okay. Alan Bilzerian. I don't talk about this enough. When I travel, I buy dumb shit. I buy shit that I should not buy because when you're traveling, that's you're like, what happens when you travel. Yeah, right. You're, like, you're just like I'm free. I'm any. I'm I'm a different person. I'm another kind of human being because I'm traveling. Yeah. I bought at Alan Bilzerian a jacket. You know the brand Kim Ree or Kim. Uh, it's like a Korean brand. K R M I I I or something like that. No, I don't know. But it's okay. it's some like goth industrial. Anyway, I have this jacket that looks crazy. Like I look like I'm I'm going to the Cold Cave concert with you. Like that's what this jacket <laughs> looks like. It's all like individually waxed nubs of cotton and it's all like the entire jacket is like hand hand twisted and individually waxed. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. And I got it at Alan Bilzerian. Because I was okay. in a mood. Yeah. I was there for work. I was staying in a hotel nearby. And I was like, yo, I'm just going to go rack out Alan Bilzerian. Why and not? And I did that. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I did it's, not go to Riccardi on that trip, but I did go to Alan Bilzerian. That's yeah. like a George well, Green. Alan Bilzerian's like a George Green type store. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah Riccardi, eh. No. Yeah, I it's not. It's too much. No, it's too much down the, down the road. Just to. Like, I have to go to Chicago for work, like, sometime in the next couple of weeks. And I'm trying... Mm-hmm. To make sure that I'm there on a day that George Green is open. That's how oh, yeah. that's yeah, how yeah, much yeah. I liked that <laughs> store. That's how happy that store made me. Yeah. He had me trying on some crazy I guess it's, it would have been Isai. Like I think that's what they said they're selling that there. Yeah, anyway, they just sell like a, Isai. Yeah, yeah, just and like a Kiton, window. I think. Oh, it was a Kiton. No, no, no. It, it was, was a Kiton it was jacket. A Kiton. Yeah. It was a Kiton jacket. Window pa- it insane colors. Insane colors. And it was like on sale for like thirty five hundred, and it fit right. perfectly. And I was like, I just can't. Like I have no, I know, but I was like, I have nowhere to wear this. Like I, it's like yeah. it's the best jacket I've tried on in like five years, but I have nowhere to wear it. 
Maybe yeah, if I go yeah. back, maybe if it's on sale, like at $1,500, maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll do it. But anyway, yes. Yeah. Shout out yeah. George Green. So, yeah. So stores like that, I like Alan builds there, you know, a store where like you have to like, they have to like bring shit from the back and there's yeah. like stuff in the back of the, they've been, you know, they opened in 1980 and the it's store still- stayed the same, you know, yeah. like. Uh, John Shep in Philadelphia. It's like mm, that's. I haven't been. That, I haven't been. You haven't been? No, it's I should go. Like, I mean, the, the, their men's wear offering is really lame. It's really about. Because, you know, stores like that, let's face it, the men's market is minuscule, right? Of course. It's really of the course. women who shop. So, like, Joan Shep. Oh, in San Francisco, the wildest fucking store, and it's women's only. It's. Okay. Uh, Susan of Burlington. I'm not up on that at all. It's uh, you. You're not because it's one of those stores. Well, it's only women's, right? Okay. And it's one 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 of those stores that are like local. They don't need the fucking internet. They don't need anything. They have a loyal clientele that's gonna go in there and they're gonna buy what they're told to buy. This is like you know, like, like the crumbs, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, the crumbs of this world. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know? Susan of Burlington, and if she if she is in the store, she's a fucking trip oh, of the event. She's gonna tell you her entire story. She's gonna tell you how important she is. She's gonna tell you that she's the first one to bring Junior Watanabe to San Francisco, the whole fucking West Coast. Blah, blah. Uh-huh. It, it, it's great, you know. And it's one of those. It's it's God knows where, you know. It's not in any of the shopping areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I already don't remember if it's specific heights or something like that. Uh, so just like, yeah, stores like that, uh, in LA, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go to Maxwell's, I'll go to that triangle, you know, Maxwell's, H. Lorenzo, Chrome Hearts, yep. that Chrome Hearts in LA is stunning. It, yep. It's, I put it in the, my article for High Snob about best stores mm-hmm. but yeah nothing really nothing really excites me all that well hopefully much. this is like you know let let this conversation be a call to arms for people to re-engage to people to re-engage with thoughtful deeply considered and unexpected retail because i will say that as someone that's written about stores and the retail experience for the last 10 years, I am so rarely impressed. I'm so rarely yeah. blown away. I'm so rarely surprised. That's why that store in Seattle, I can still tell you about it. I went there one time six years ago and it still stuck with me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, so I, I hope, you know, if people are picking up on all the game that we're, we're giving out that they will take that seriously um, and try to create a version of that in whatever city they live in, and then hopefully we Please. get to go. We get to go visit. Yeah, exactly. And then you're gonna come see Antidote in Atlanta, right? I'm coming. I'm here. coming. Next time I'm in Atlanta, we go. We get we get bust downs at Icebox, and then we're going straight straight to Antidote. Yeah, sounds good. And once we, you know, we're now in a preview space in the little five points, and that's already great. Once we open the permanent space, I mean, that city's not gonna know what hit them. It's gonna be. So fucking good, John. Like, you know, I'm so excited. I'm ready. You know I'm pulling up. You know I'm pulling up heavy. I know. I know. Absolutely. I know you are. I know uh. you are. That's why like we need enth- we need enthusiasts and that's what we're banking on. That there's still the enthusiasm is there. 
it really is. And I am already seeing how like the city responds, like even just the stuff they've never seen. They're like, this is sick. Like you don't have to be an expert, you know, you just see it and it's self-evident that you know. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I can't wait to see how yeah. well dressed I, the, the rappers are going to be in Atlanta. Man, it's it's going to be great. And I really do hope we're going to have that retail renaissance in other cities because opportunities are there now <clears throat> in New York, in especially in New York. I feel yep. like an opportunity. Is oh, look, because- you still look, you run through Soho, the amount of empty storefronts. I wish someone had a vision like Soho's awful right now, but I wish someone would have yeah. a vision for how to handle a, a multi-brand storefront in Soho. Um, that'd be, that'd yeah. be great. Or even in the Lower East Side at this point. Um, yeah, exactly. I just, um, you know, but I, but I agree people are, I feel people are gun shy, but I look, if, if people have made it to the two and a half hour mark of this podcast and they're interested in this, I hope that they will consider it a call to arms because you and the thing that you and I both care about tremendously are yeah. the, the thoughtfulness, the, the kind of aesthetic intellect of, a fashion environment and yeah. feeling going into a store, feeling challenged and feeling inspired. Exactly. You, you know I mean? And also, and that's the last thing I'll say also stores like that. And I'm sure you'll agree with it. They really do add to the fabric of a city. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I look, I still go to, if I still go to, you know, or atelier or whatever, you know, I go to, I, I have a, did you have um Jeffrey B small recently? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's coming out tomorrow. It's coming out tomorrow. Oh, okay, all right. I um I got a Jeffrey B. Small jacket. There's a great store. What's the store in London that's like multi level something mountain? Blue Mountain or Blue Mountain School. Blue Mountain School. Blue Mountain Amazing store. Woo! Oh yeah, my yeah. god. Damn. Yeah, they, that's an incredible. I story. had set aside like twenty minutes to go to that store and I was there for like three and a half hours. Yep. But anyway, like that, let those stores and let our uh, passion for this hopefully inspire people to to think harder about it. Yeah, I really, yeah, I really, yeah, I really, I couldn't agree with you more because stores like that do add to the fabric of the city, for sure, a city and and make us want to travel and visit. Hell yeah. And also, but on the other side, if you're just a writer and you want to tell me about Aritzia, I'd like to read that too. So, you know, life, <laughs> life is complicated. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> On yo, that note. Yo, my pl- yo, I'm so glad we did this. Me I know too. We, we've been talking about it for a long time. I'm glad, I'm glad we that we, have, we, we, you know, we, we oh, landed the plane. I'm glad. Yeah, totally. Um, thank you, John, for being here. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening.